Hello, dear listeners. Uh, a quick programming note here. If this is not your first episode of Wonderful World of Dark Lords, then you know that we have little interstitial bits with a first-person narrator going around and exploring the domains. And in this episode, there was a scene where the first-person narrator interacted with an NPC that we really felt worked better as a fully written scene with a dialogue rather than the summary that we usually do. So it's going to be presented in that way. This isn't like a permanent change to the format. We're not going to have that showing up in every episode. But I think you will see why when we get there, though. Ever since we were planning on doing a Princess and the Frog episode, we wanted to have this scene, and we wanted to have it written out in full novelistic scene format. We hope you enjoy the episode. The Wonderful World of Dark Lords Report 9 Crescent City the first impression I had upon entering Crescent City was of color, noise, and commotion. Music played from every corner, and everyone seemed to be rushing from one place to another at breakneck speed. At first, I mistook this hullabaloo for gaiety. After all, they were preparing for their annual carnival celebration. A closer look, however, revealed that the laughter was a little too loud, the skin around the eyes too tense and tired, and the smell of nervous sweat entirely too present. The people of Crescent City weren't running because they had somewhere to be. They were running because if they stood still, something dark and terrible would catch them. Welcome to Wonderful World of Dark Lords. I'm Tom. I'm Rachel. And we are discussing how to convert Disney movies to Ravenloft Domains of Dread, because Randy Newman wrote the Infernal Warlock theme song, and what else are we supposed to do? Along the way, we'll look at the Dark Lord, the domain itself, and some plot hooks and adaptation ideas to integrate this setting into your own campaign. Today's episode, Crescent City. Happy Mardi Gras, everyone! Happy Mardi Gras! Le bon temps yeah, I believe it's not until next week, but I'm sure the party and hey, I'm sure it already New started, yes. Yeah. So. Speaking of New Orleans, we figured there was only one movie that would mm-hmm. fit for our first Mardi Gras as a podcast, and that is the Mardi gras of the Disney canon, <laughs> the New Orleaniest of films, one of our personal very favorites. Mm-hmm. And probably my favorite Disney movie of the kind of neo-Renaissance era. Mm-hmm. And that is The Princess and the Frog. We like to throw a Mardi Gras party and we always have Princess and the Frog going on in the background. Because why wouldn't we? <laughs> and can I say, as having to come up with names for the domains, <laughs> the fact that it has, New Orleans has this nice nickname, Crescent City, mm-hmm. that we can take and make the name of our setting. But most people will recognize that it's about New Orleans. <laughs> That's very useful. Yeah. I, I wish France had more of those. You can't have a domain called New Orleans, and you certainly can't have a domain called the Big Easy. The Big Easy, you yeah. Have a domain Too silly. called Crescent City. Like, there could be a city called Crescent City, mm-hmm. especially in DC Comics. <laughs> yeah. This movie, Princess and the Frog, is not only one of our favorite movies, but was one of the very first ideas we came up with mm-hmm. when we were just, for fun, coming up with Ravenloft domains based on Disney movies. You know, we had The Lion King, we were talking about Peter Pan. And like the third or fourth one we did was Princess and the mm-hmm. Frog. And as soon as we decided to do the podcast, we said, we're saving that for February to be our Mardi Gras episode. <laughs> yes, we are. That was on the calendar before we had a single <laughs> line recorded of our first episode. It was like October, Nightmare Before Christmas, November, December, January, question, question mark? Question mark? February. Princess, Princess and the Frog. That thing's special for March, too. Yes. So... Dr. Facilier is such a good villain, and he is such a great character, and Mm -hmm. he is such a perfect fit for a Dark Lord that that seems like an excellent transition into our discussion of our Dark Lord for this domain, who is, as you probably guessed, 
Dr. Facilier. The Lord. The most powerful man in Crescent City is ostensibly Naveen, Prince of Maldonia and husband of the heiress Charlotte LeBeouf. Charlotte has been living a life of relative seclusion since the death of her father, putting control of the sizable LeBeouf fortune in Naveen's hands. After talking to Naveen for mere moments, I knew that the obsequious Lickspittle was not a true power in Crescent City. His closest confidant and advisor, however, was another matter entirely. Dr. Facilier is a witch doctor who runs a rather seedy magic emporium in the quarter. He performed magical favors for the town's more desperate residents, all for a price, of course, until his meteoric rise to power after Naveen came to town. I hope my patron will not consider my report bereft if I disdain to elaborate further, but I believe the implications speak for themselves. Today, Dr. Facilier still has a reputation as a man who can connect the people of Crescent City to whatever they want or need. When a person falls upon hard times, Dr. Facilier is ready with a smile and an open hand, eager to give them whatever they wish. If the price for his assistance turns out to be higher than it originally seemed, Facilier might consider shaving a little off. So long as his debtor pushes someone else a little closer to the edge of ruin, the Facilier might secure a new prospect. So yes, surprising for us, the villain is the Dark Lord. <laughs> I think the villain is going to be the Dark Lord. Yes. For the next, I think it was just that one October and November. That one stretch of yes. anti-heroic Dark Lords. <laughs> but Especially since we decided to give the Beast a break. Our villains are the Dark Lord, and not just because he is a great villain, but because, as we're going to go into in a minute, he is a perfect Dark Lord. Yes. He arguably up there with Scar in terms of mm -hmm. just the classic... Dark Lord, the perfect Dark Lord, taking the Disney villain and fitting them into that Ravenloft framework. We really did not have to do any work on him at all. No, like, yeah. the only reason we had to do more work on him than we did with Scar is that there was that one period where Scar wins and we yes. have to see what the Pride Lands looks like as a domain. As we'll get into, we have to AU Dr. Facilier just a little bit, but other than that, Dark Lord right out of the box. Right. We're just kind of changing the timeline, but we don't have to do anything with Dr. Facilier. Mm -mm. He's great. But you know what Dr. Facilier is, I certainly hope. And if not, please pause this podcast, watch Princess and the Frog, and then come back. Do yourself a favor. You'll thank us. <laughs> but maybe you don't know what a Dark Lord is. So, Rachel, what is a Dark Lord? Well, a Dark Lord is an evil being who commits some kind of act of ultimate darkness and causes the dark powers to say, why, hello, we want to play with you. And so the dark powers take that person and put them in a special hell created just for them, which is their domain. So when we talk about our dark lords, we like to go into four traits that really separate the great dark lords from the not so great dark lords. And the Eric von Karkov. <laughs> yes. The of the world. The von Zarovichs from the von Karkov. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of the von Zarovichs, mm -hmm. we're going to talk about how these four qualities apply to the Ur-Dark Lord, Strahd. And then talk about how they apply to Dr. Facilier also. So the first quality of a great Dark Lord is that act of ultimate darkness. They don't just kind of do a bunch of random evil stuff. They do one thing that makes the Dark Powers go, yeah, we like you. And in Strahd's case, it was killing his brother because he wanted to get with his brother's fiance. And the second quality is the torment, or since this is a Disney podcast, specifically a Dr. Facilier yes. podcast today. You got what you wanted. You, you lost, lost what, what you had. had. The circle is complete. <laughs> I'm so happy right now. <laughs> this is like when we got to do I Want Adventure in the Great White yes. somewhere last month. <laughs> 
So in Strahd's case, congratulations, Sergei's out of the way. Congratulations, you're a vampire, you have eternal youth, you don't have to worry that you're too old for Tatyana anymore. Oh wait, Tatyana, who is that again? That lady who is now dead and out of your reach and going to be reincarnated and then getting out of your reach again and again and again forever? Yeah, her. So that's, that's Strahd's torment. Our third quality of a great Dark Lord is that element of tragedy or relatability. There's something about them that makes us kind of wince internally and say, oh man, yeah, that that's rough, buddy. Hold on to that feeling. <laughs> and in Strahd's case, it really hurts when you're into someone who's not into you, no matter how much of a repulsive person you become because of it in Strahd's case. That is just a universally awful feeling. And then our last quality is the domain reflecting the Dark Lord. Strahd is a dark, broody vampire, and Barovia is a dark, broody vampire domain. He is not the Dark Lord of Harakir, he is the Dark Lord of Hammer Films Transylvania. <laughs> and he, it also is full of, you know, these frightened, boring peasants because in choosing to kill his brother, he chose to be alone, and so he doesn't have anyone who can really be an intellectual equal or appear to him, because the domain also reflects their curse. So, Tom, that's how Strahd is an awesome Dark Lord. Let's talk about Dr. Facilier and how he just rules. So awesome. <laughs> oh my god. As a villain, and as we're going to go through, even as this mm-hmm. specific category villain, a Dark Lord. Yes. So this is where we can start with an act of ultimate darkness, and we can get some of our AU. Sometimes the, the chronology is a little weird with us giving you the stuff we came up with, but this one flows very well. Mm-hmm. Because the AU is connected with that act of ultimate darkness, which is killing Lottie's dad. Killing Eli LaBeouf, Big Daddy. That in our version, Naveen never escaped. He stayed in the box. Dr. Facilier's original plan went off completely without a hitch. He turned Lawrence into Naveen. He married Lottie. Dr. Facilier killed her dad. And he got control of her fortune and then used it to do all sorts of evil that we're going to talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But so that's our act of ultimate darkness. When he stabbed that little pin into that little John Goodman voodoo doll, (laughs) then the mist rose up around Crescent City, around the bayou adjacent to it, and brought it into Ravenloft. And now got what they wanted, lost what they had. This is so perfect because Mm -hmm. that's a big part of the themes of the movie as it keeps being quoted. So in this version, he won He got everything he wanted. Mm -hmm. He is now effectively the richest and most powerful man in the city. He is living high on the hog. He is got all this arcane power they didn't have before because he's been able to get so many souls to the friends of the other side. But the thing about being in debt (laughs) and having to borrow to get out of debt is then you're in debt again. Mm -hmm. So he still is... Morgish of the gills. He did not like pay off his debt to the friends on the other side, and now he's fine. It was his big score. It was his big score, right? It's just his one big score. <laughs> you just do one big score, and then you're done. That's then you're how out. that worked. So, I mean, and this is not like this is technically a sort of a supposition on our part, but like, come on, right? Yeah. Like, like, if the it friends all on the worked. other side aren't going to be like, oh, well, wow, gosh, thanks, cool. Doc. Okay. <laughs> Shake your hand, take you out to lunch, and then we, we go our separate ways. <laughs> So, you know, he had to borrow all that power to make talisman, to do other things. He paid it off enough that they're not repossessing his, <laughs> his soul. He's fine. He's going from day to day. But he still wakes up every day and has to hustle that entire day to get to tomorrow. He's made it up to the next 
tier in the MLM. Uh-huh. Like, maybe he's even skipped a couple of tiers in the MLM. He's like, he's gotten to pink level. Right. But he's not at the top of the pyramid because there's only one top of the pyramid and it's the friends on the other yes. side. And he will forever be in their downline. Yes. And that means he will forever, he'll be living well, but he'll forever have that constant hustle. This is not the last time we're going to hear about MLMs either. Mm-mm. So <laughs> he is... Rich, he is powerful, he is living in luxury, he has a fancy car, he has fancy food, but every day, he hustles all day to make it to tomorrow. I would apologize to any of our listeners who might be involved in MLMs, but please, get out now. Yeah, no, I apologize that you are in an MLM. please get out. (laughs) Just, I promise it's a scam. I promise you're not going to make any money. If you can't trust us, then who (laughs) who can you trust? So... And this, of course, is the, as you can probably tell from where we're talking, is our segue into that element of tragedy and relatability. Mm-hmm. He is terrible. He does horrible things. He is going to bring all this ruin and all this destruction and even damnation of the people of New Orleans. But we can all imagine being in debt. Mm-hmm. We can all imagine we're drowning in debt. We're robbing Peter to pay Paul. And we are borrowing money to pay off the money. And then we have to borrow more money to pay off that money. And we are hustling, 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 working our bottoms off every day just to take in enough from the people that all work for us in order to pay off the people we owe. Mm-hmm. And so he n- never gets to just chill out and eat beignets and be king of Mardi Gras <laughs> like Eli LaBeouf. He is just... Every day is sweaty desperation yeah. of juggling the books, of hunting down deadbeats that owe him stuff, mm-hmm. of borrowing magical power to get people to agree to get into more debt with him so he'll have enough souls to pay off the magical power he borrowed last time. And it's just, we saw the LuLaRue documentary, mm-hmm. and I think any of those MLM documentaries, you can look at some of those people and be like, you're a terrible person that hurt people. But being a human means you can't help but feel pity. Yeah. You can't help but feel that wince of sympathy at the thought of being in um, the mid-range of an MLM and just being in that never-ending hamster wheel of just trying to to keep your head above water. Mm -hmm. And we even have, you know, the friends on the other side are smart. We have the stick of the potential damnation, the foreclosure, the repossession, then the carrot of... You're always just one big score away mm-hmm. from clearing your account. You're almost there. You're almost You're there. almost oh. there. And then there's also, we're going to get into this a little bit more later, but he had to have gotten it hawk for a reason. You know, and we never find out exactly what that reason is in the movie. He didn't just wake up one morning and say, by golly, I want to be intended to demon huh, forever. Right. <laughs> like there, there was something that happened that made him want to do this. That made him become a warlock because he felt like that was the only route that he had to escape whatever situation was going on to get whatever it was he wanted. As you know, we, we all have something that we're kind of like, I might make a shady deal to get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then finally, we have the domain reflects the personality of the mm-hmm. curse. I mean, it's voodoo, it's New Orleans, it's tarot cards, it's magic, it's the bayou. It's He's such a perfect fit for his setting. We, we talked in our prologue about the Disney movie Ravenloft overlap and the strong sense of setting, the strong sense of place. And even the strong overlap between like the characters and the setting. And the way that the setting is an expression of the characters. And this is a mm-hmm. perfect example of that. Oh, yeah. That he is such a great expression of the setting. And the setting is just 
an expression of him. Mm-hmm. It's it's so wonderful. Yeah, and we're gonna as we talk about our um you and everything and get more into the land, we're also gonna talk about the thematic way that it's a reflection of him also, not just the, you know, fun New Orleans voodoo everything, but thematically it really connects to. So we talked a little bit about our AU. Let's talk a little bit more about AU after he killed Eli. <laughs> what happened? Because that's not the game doesn't start with they walk in and Eli's lying on the ground having right. on the Mardi Gras float having a heart attack, <laughs> his daughter weeping in her wedding dress. Yes. Before we talk about what happened after he stabbed Eli, we actually need to go back and talk about what happened before he stabbed Eli, because part of it involves the fact that Naveen never got loose, right? Which means that Naveen never met Tiana. Yes. So, we've got that moment, and it's just, oh, it's so heartbreaking, when you know, she is about to get the money for her restaurant. You know, she's, she's gotten everything she needs for the down payment, and the bankers have promised her that if she brings the down payment to the party, then they're going to give her the space. Yeah, so we'll bring the paperwork to the party for mm-hmm. you to sign. And everyone has just been dumping on her the entire beginning of the movie, talking about how foolish her dream is. And she's like, nope, I'm going to show them. And then they, you know, at the party, very, very smugly tell her that they're not going to be able to do it because someone else offered him cash and say a few things about how someone of her background and position shouldn't get her hopes up anyway, and it's probably for the best. And it's just shattering. And she made a wish on a star, which is something that she never thought she was going to do. You know what else she never thought she was going to do? Make a deal with Dr. Facilier. Yeah, yeah. Because we love Tiana. Yes. But this is before all her character development happened. Right, When right. she thought that kind of the key to continuing her father's legacy and the key to making him proud from beyond was having this restaurant. Yeah. In the near the ending, when he, he tempts her, when he shows her the restaurant and offers it to her, she has had this whole journey of falling in love with Naveen of kind of examining her life and her attitude toward work and her attitude toward this restaurant and her family. Mm-hmm. And she's still very tempted. Yeah. And this is before any of that. This mm-hmm. is like she is pre-character arc. Yeah. So Dr. Facilier comes. He makes a deal with her. Part of why we did this was because we really wanted Tiana's place as a setting. Yes, And yes. we're going to get into that in the land. But the idea of having Tiana's place as a setting and your players knowing exactly what that means is just oof. Yeah, shivers. Yeah. And so then Dr. Facilier won. You know, Benzo again, Naveen never escaped. Tiana's not there to be helping out. So Lawrence married Lottie. And then Dr. Facilier, you know, stabbed the little, little drunk of Voodoo doll. And Big Daddy LeBouf died. And so now... Lawrence is in control of the LaBeouf financial empire, and Dr. Facilier is in charge of Lawrence. All the money and power he could possibly want, question mark. (laughs) But he is still in debt. Yes. He had promised the friends on the other side that he was going to give them souls. After Navita escaped, he told them that really he was going to be able to pay it back because he'd be able to give them every soul in New Orleans. And what, what does that mean? And what we're imagining is that he's using this position of power to be able to prey on them even more. To, to be drive able, people mm-hmm. to desperation. Yeah. Like, he can, like, manipulate things to make things worse in Crescent City. Like, even in our version, this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But let's say the bankers, they weren't just being prejudiced jerks. They had been instructed to kind of play this con on Tiana. That they'd been instructed to sort of dangle her dream out in front of her and snatch it away at the last minute. And then the door 
opens and Dr. Facilier is there, ready to hand it back to her. So, because the bankers have debts of Dr. Yes. Facilier of their own that they need to pay off. So he can use that financial empire to not only have money and power, but to be specifically using that money and power to try to drive people to desperation. And then he shows up and he offers you exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. And so once again, his ultimate goal is to get people to sell their souls. He did meet it when he told the friends on the other side that he was planning on giving them souls. And, but in the meantime, eh, he gets to increase his personal power base. He gets to increase his posh lifestyle. It's a pretty, pretty good way for him to be. He's definitely better off than mm-hmm. when he was at the beginning of Princess and the Frog. He's got a softer bed. He's got a, a car and a driver. He's got very nice food. He's not hustling for nickels yelling people, but baldness cures anymore. <laughs> But when the friends on the other side show up to yell at him, as they do on a regular basis, he still has the cowering back, wide-eyed, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, fear grin. <laughs> like, just promising them he'll just each mm. needs a little more time and he'll pay them back. <sighs> oh, Dr. Facilier. Oh, man. See, <laughs> see? So good. Speaking of Dr. Facilier, let's talk about Dr. Facilier in Ravenloft's terms. So in Ravenloft's terms, he's a Dark Lord. Dark Lords, they get their powers. They get some of them they get just from being what they are, like Strahd is a vampire, so he gets vampire powers. Others they get from their special connection to the land. So what Dr. Facilier is, and has always been from the get-go, is, let me think, we're going to use the stats for Warlock of the Fiends. I mean, Warlock of the Fiends. Like, (laughs) he has a contract with this demonic infernal power that gives him power... But then he has to do things for that that infernal entity slash entities. Mm-hmm. So he's got all of his Warlock of the Fiend stat powers. He's also got, you know, his tarot deck is his arcane focus. So you can have it be tarot, or if you want to use the uh, the Taroka from Ravenloft, it's super cool. That's what we yeah, do. Yeah, that's what we do. And then his shadow, you know, we see that his shadow is its own thing. It, like, you know, pulls out the chair for him and everything. You can send it out to do things. So you figure that his shadow is a shadow. From the Monster Manual. From the Monster Manual. And it's just familiar. And then, you know, he's got his divination powers that he uses with when he's doing the readings and everything. He he can look at you, he can see what you want, he can identify that you're a mark. You know, he looks at Naveen and Lawrence, he not only knows they're marks, he knows exactly what to dangle in front of them. So we figure he can cast divination spells from cantrip to third level at will. Uh Uh-huh. And fourth level and above, he can do once per day. Yeah, just so he's not unbeatable. Like, (laughs) being able to cast some of those high-level divination Mm -hmm. spells at will is pretty god mode. So he can still do them, it's just a little more limited. Yeah. And he's got the cards as the arcane focus, so he doesn't need, like, material components or anything. Yeah, and he does the constant detect thoughts at will, Mm -hmm, so he can always be telling exactly what he's angle in front of you. Can tell immediately whether or not his pitch is working, just... That's that's just the best thing you can give a con man. Mm Mm-hmm. And then he really wants him to shake a poor sinner's hand. Won't you shake a poor sinner's hand? <laughs> so we figure that if you agree to whatever he offers, right, you take the all he has to. You have to freely, mm-hmm. knowingly, because remember, he everything he says to Naveen is you need green. You want to hop around and be free and have all the green you need. Mm-hmm. That's all literally true. Yes. He never lies to mm-hmm. him. And so if you take the deal, which he gives, tells you what it is, and you shake his hand, then you don't get a saving throw. Yeah, you sure don't. <laughs> gonna that pop. bail from Polymorph is just going to yep, hit. You are yeah. just going to be turned into a frog and your con score has nothing to say about it. <laughs> And that's sort of his base power set. 
We also have that he has, he gets the talisman from the friends on the other side. He gets all the shadows that he sends out to find Naveen. So we're imagining that he can reach out to the friends on the other side and he can basically get any spell or magic item. He can get like a one-off, basically the equivalent of a scroll of any spell. He can get any magic item, this like custom polymorph talisman where you can prick someone with it and then it'll be actually act as a sort of hat of disguise for that specific person. But there's a price that is borrowing from the friends, that is increasing his debt. The other stuff like the divination and the detecting thoughts and the shaking the hand, that's like just, he can just use those. He's not taking from the friends when he does the reading for Lawrence and Naveen. But when he gets the talisman, when he gets the shadows, that is, no, he's going deeper into debt. And that's why there's even the whole, he's so desperate when they're threatening to destroy the talisman mm-hmm. because he knows there's no way he can pay off the debt if he loses that talisman and he can't afford another one. Yeah. This is something that's really going to be on you as a GM to be role-playing, to be keeping track of. Yeah. Because, you know, theoretically, this is just like, you know, a bottomless well yes, of spells so- that your cool villain can throw at the PCs. You're kind of on the honor system here yeah, yeah. <laughs> as the GM, that this is not something he wants to do. And that the more he does it, like, the more awesome and formidable Dr. Vasilia is, the more terrified and wide-eyed and desperate he is. Yes. And that's just, that's, you know, once again, we don't really have, like, a... Um, mechanical, mechanical check on that. Yeah. yeah. So if you come up with some kind of mechanical check on it, please let us know. That sounds great. Like, subscribe, like, subscribe comment, comment. etc. But you know, mostly it's really going to be on you to be kind of doing the honor system and using it as a role-playing thing. Like finding a good, if, if it's in a fight mm-hmm. or if he's in conflict with your PCs, having that kind of check, that counterbalance, not just giving him the I win button. Because yeah. this is the I win button, it's just then after he beat the PCs, he'll be dragged into hell. Right, but he still beats the PCs. Right, first, yeah, but they're so, gone. They're out of, yeah, right. they're so out of that there's domain. Gotta, there's got to be some way it comes back to bite him in the rear end. Sorry, up to you as a GM. <laughs> One more thing about Dr. Facilier's power. Fun fact about voodoo. He can't do a thing for himself. <laughs> so we have that, and it's so cool. Yeah. And we are mechanically implementing that of that he cannot target himself with a spell. Mm-hmm. So no healing, no, like, disguise self invisibility, buffs, you know, bless, anything. He Any spell, he can target another person, but he cannot target himself even if normally in the spell you could. Mm-hmm. Also that he cannot attune to any of the magic items if he were to craft one, or more likely if he were to get one from the friends on the other side, he can't attune to those items, so he can't use them. Uh, we have this the talisman, obviously. He puts it on Lawrence. It turns Lawrence into Naveen. He puts it on himself. Nothing happens because he's attuned Lawrence to the item, and anyone else could use it if they attuned to it in the mechanics, but he can't as part of the sort of clause of his magic. And then for closing the borders, we figure, you know, Crescent City is surrounded by the bayou. The bayou just becomes this impassable swamp. You get lost. You're going around in circles. If you try to go out via the sea, then, you know, there's mist. Then eventually you'll go back into the city. We are going to be writing this up, as we always do, in the format of the Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft domain write-ups. We are going to be putting this up on DMs Guild, as we always do for free. And part of that Van Richten's Guide format is in the Dark Lord, we have a section about role-playing the Dark Lord. And that gives us your standard NPC write-up, the role-playing trait, the ideal, the bond, and the flaw. But it uses quotes, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But it's a challenge for us because we want to follow that format, so we want to use quotes from the character. 
Sometimes they come right out and say, I want always to be a little boy and have fun. Sometimes you have to work a little harder. Sometimes they sing three songs about how they're the Pumpkin King and <laughs> they're the best at everything, but they have ennui. But here with Dr. Facilia, I think I have selected some quotes. Some of these, I have a very strong sense of where I think they're going to go. Some of them, I'm not so sure. They just feel like they say something significant about who Dr. Facilier is, and they would, they are something that could help a GM roleplay this character. And I'm going to go over them, and Rachel and I are going to pick out the ones we think are best, and you might hear a little typing as I type <laughs> them in our notes, so I can then in the domain write up. Yeah, a lot of times I pick out the quotes, The Princess and the Frog, I love this movie, but it's like, I love it, and it's in lowercase. Tom all caps loves this movie. Like I said, this, this is, is this is like Nightmare Before Christmas in reverse. <laughs> this is probably my favorite post '90s Renaissance Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Also, can I just say how happy I am that the last hand drawn Disney movie was not, in fact, Home on the Range? Yeah. Oh gosh. Away from that horror and back to our, to our, <laughs> our horror. Dark Lord is our not Dark Lord, Lord, Slim. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A little Easter egg for you Home on the Range fans out there. So our role there will pl- always be sassy cattle. You can't rustle. Stay tuned. You spoil the next episode, honey. <laughs> Our role-playing trait ideal bond and flaw for Dr. Facilia. So here's my quotes. I'm going to try to restrain from doing the full Keith David, <laughs> but I make no promises. Don't you disrespect me, little man. Mm. Don't you derogate or deride. You're in my world now, not your world. And I've got friends on the other side. He's got friends on the other side. So like that, we have to work that in. Yes. That is his iconic... Like line, his iconic mm-hmm. moment is that I think that you're in my world now, not your yeah. world. My God, it's on the other side. Might be ideal, but we'll mm-hmm. see. Besides, you and I both know the real power in this world ain't magic; it's money, buckets of it. Mm. And then right off of that, and this is we're, we're definitely gonna use this one. Uh, Aren't you tired of living on the margins while those fat cats in their fancy cars don't give you so much as a sideways glance? This is what I was thinking of when I said we don't really know why he got in Hawk with the friends on the other side, but Tom was pointing out the way he's animated in this scene. This isn't just a line. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he's saying this is the thing that's going to get Lawrence to go along with him, and we even have Lawrence with it. Yes, I am. But when he, he does this, he's turned away from Lawrence... And he's kind of staring ahead and clenching his fists and kind of spitting these words out. And it really comes off as, this is not a line. This is not a play. This is like an authentic, aren't you tired of living on the margins while those fat cats in their fancy cars don't give you so much as a sideways glance. That's real. Mm-hmm. So we got to find a way to work that one. Yeah, like we see directly the way racism and classism impacts Tiana. But Dr. Facilier is also a black man living in New Orleans in the 1920s. So there's, you know. A lot of possibilities. <laughs> a lot of possibilities. A lot of there. fanfic space there, folks. <laughs> Which, what is uh, this game except a fanfic with dice? Yes. Friends, I know I'm in a hot pretty deep, y'all, but it seems our little froggy prince lost his way. And I need your generous assistance in getting him back. I hear you. Now what's in it for y'all? So it, it, mm. it's very specific. Very specific. It's, it's very a good specific. scene. It's, it's a great scene. Now, I want to do this whole scene, but there's no way I can do it. I know. Um, this is the... <laughs> I know, darling. Come on now, darling. Think, oh! of... Think of everything you sacrificed. Think of all those naysayers who doubted you. Come on, Tiana. You're almost there. Oh, that might be the trait. Yeah, that might be trait. Yeah. He's, he's so smooth. Yeah, he's yeah. so smooth. Yeah, just and cutting the, the line Tiana. Mm-hmm. And just you cool it's the trait, you cool with the like the trait. Yeah. Cause even that that is how he would be 
pitching the PCs. Yes. Like, that is, if you want to roleplay Dr. Vasily, interact with the PCs, mm-hmm. it's going to be the, think of everything you sacrificed. Think of all yes. the naysayers who doubted you. You're mm-hmm. almost You're there. Almost so almost there. Oh, so great. And that's, yeah, that's the roleplaying, because that's the, he dangles the little trinket mm-hmm. in front of you. Oh. You're Almost there. Almost You're one there. more job. Mm-hmm. One more favor. Yeah. Away from clearing uh, your name. Because I think oh, there's so much great stuff in that scene, but it doesn't work without the visuals. Yeah. Because he's talking about all the stuff with, like, that her father had nothing. Uh-huh. And, and, but you're seeing it contrasted with the no, he had the only things that matter. Uh huh. But you know, you get Dr. Facilier doesn't value yes. that. Yeah. So he does, all he sees is a failure of a man. And he's trying to so get good. even, it's, it's not even. Interesting. Once again, this isn't just a line he's given Tiana. He believes it. Yes. Yes. And because if he believed right. in the power of love, he wouldn't be Doctor. Yeah. Life. Exactly. But we can't put it in like just on its own because it doesn't work if we don't have the visuals of you know her seeing the visions of what was really going on while Doctor. Facilier is telling her this, this terrible stuff. Well, the dialogue we do get his side of it. Mm-hmm. All right. The cards. The cards. The cards will tell the past, the present, and the future as well. So okay, we've got our role playing trade picked. We need our ideal bond and flaw. I think the ideal's got to be you're on my world, not on yes. your world, and I got friends on the other side. Do you want to have the don't you dis don't you dis? Do you want the whole thing? Because or just the you're in my world, not on your world. Not. Yeah, I think that's just. I think yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's so good. The don't you just like it's almost closer to a flaw, although I don't think it is a flaw, but it's 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 clo- it's more flaw. Yeah. So then our bond has got to be something with the friends on the other side, because that is... I was dead. thinking the, the the bonds could be, promise I'll pay you all yes. back, I promise. Yes, I, we, yes. I don't think, I don't think no, we need yeah. to know, please no, you know, I promise I'll pay you all back, I promise. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we're not at the point of desperation where he's screaming, no, please no, just a little more time. Like, he's doing okay, he's, mm-hmm. he's getting from day to day to day, mm-hmm. but absolutely that every day he wakes up with the, I promise I'll pay y'all back, I promise. What if, uh, this is, this is unusual sure. for us, if Ooh. we did a little mix and matching with the uh-huh. earlier quote, uh-huh. that later gets too specific, but what if we did, friends, I know I'm in hot pretty deep to y'all already, but I promise I'll Ooh. pay y'all back, I promise. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm cool, it's our, yeah. it's our podcast. It's our podcast. <laughs> we make our own rules. So, friends, I know I'm in hock, pretty deep to y'all already. Dot, dot, dot. I promise I'll pay y'all back. I promise. Or even... <laughs> a dot, dot, dot covering 45 minutes in the yeah. movie. <laughs> so, then I'll put the promise, the last promise in lowercase, because he's not screaming all cat. Oh, that seems so good. It seems so um, good. Oh. And yet, even as a bond, this works, because this is kind of the most important relationship in yes. his life, obviously. It's to his debt. It's to his debt. Not even not just even to the friends. Yes. Yeah. And the whole that every day he wakes up, and the first thing he thinks about is... Okay, what do I need to do today to pay to make my payments? Mm-hmm. What hustles do I have going? What irons do I have in the fire? Who's almost to the point of breaking mm-hmm. that I can squeeze him a little and I can get enough souls for today? Mm-hmm. And then every night before going to bed, he thinks, "What am I going to do tomorrow? Like, who's who's who am I going to squeeze tomorrow? Who am I going to hustle tomorrow?" That's his whole life because mm-hmm. he's in a hell of his own creation. He is in a hell of which his is own why. Creation. He's a great Ravenloft Dark Lord. Oh, man. He's the best. And then finally, our flaw. This is tricky. This is tricky. Because the flaw would be, you know, there's the obvious, the debt, and the just never-ending cycle of debt. 
You and I both know the real power on this world ain't magic, it's money buckets of it might be. That's something that, it's yeah. something. Don't you disrespect the little man, don't you dare get it arrive, might be. I really like, I think I like, I'm leaning that one the most. Yeah, because he is a prickly and proud. Yes, yes, and that sort of is, you get the sense that's part of what's driven him here, mm-hmm. is this sort of prickliness and proudness and desire for respect and desire to be looked up to and yeah. to look down on other people. And even the points where they're kind of able to get one over on him, it's not with his greed, it's with his temper. Mm, we do, we yeah. do see him lose his cool a couple times. Yeah. We don't see him really take stupid risks for greed. I don't have it here, but I can look it mm-hmm. up in a minute. I thought I had it here. There is the part where Lawrence sort of drops the talisman. Mm-hmm. And he grabs it and says something like, like, be careful with that. Do you know what happened to me if I... Mm-hmm. So it, it's the temper, yeah. That's yeah. like the losing is cool. So yeah, I'm liking the don't yeah. use dusty middle yeah. man, don't you derogate or deride. Mm-hmm. That's where you can get him to make mistakes. Sidebar about Lawrence. Yes. Just, uh, so <laughs> he's he's pretty scummy, but just, oh, you have the whole thing they're talking about in a microcosm with him where he, he you can kind of sympathize. N- N- Naveen's a bit of a jerk. He's a nice guy, but he's very thoughtless mm-hmm. to the staff. In, in, in the beginning of the movie. Yes, in the beginning of the movie. So you get why Lawrence feels this way, especially this whole, that he's been pushed around his whole life. And now he wants to be the one doing the pushing for once. And we can all sympathize with that, but it all goes wrong. He doesn't like it. It's not what he wanted, but you even get that whole wonderful Dr. Facilier, you're in as deep as I am. Mm-hmm. Like, no, you can't leave. You don't get to leave. You, we, and you just got to keep doing more and more and more. And there's this light at the end of the tunnel where maybe once the score pays off and he marries yeah. Lottie and everything, maybe it'll be done. It won't be done. No, yeah. He's like, still going to be under Dr. Facilier's boot. And Tom was even pointing yes. out, we've, we've watched this movie a million times. You were thinking about the you got what you wanted, you lost what you had aspect. And it was your insight, so... And Lawrence, his whole thing, he wants to be the one in the top. He wants to be the one in charge. He wants to be the one giving the orders while somebody else is the flunky. And he's a flunky. Mm-hmm. Like, he does this, and now he just has Dr. Facilier, who's much worse boss than mm-hmm. Naveen, pushing him around and yelling at him and calling him an idiot and screaming at him. And Naveen never screamed yeah, at him. Yeah, Naveen never screamed at him. Or called him names. Just. He was just a thoughtless twerp. He got what he wanted, and he lost what he had. Or even you have that cycle of debt, like, he does this thing, and now he can't get out. Mm-hmm. And he just keeps getting in deeper and deeper and deeper. And every action he's taken to try and sort of dig himself out, he's just getting worse. Yeah. So this is, yeah, it's such a good dark lord, such a good domain. And speaking of it being such a good domain, this is a kind of a good segue into how we're imagining it reflecting Dr. Facilier. Mm-hmm. How we're imagining Crescent City changed since the tragic death of Mr. LeBouf. In the section that we like to call the land. The land. Crescent City is nestled in the heart of a river delta, surrounded by miles of swamps and bayous. The massive moss-draped cypress trees cover the bayous in shadow, and the shallow waters easily conceal the tracks of those who travel there, making it an ideal place for those who wish to hide their dealings or go underground. The potential for criminality and dark magic is far from the only danger in the bayou, however. Massive alligators lurk beneath the murky waters, sturges swarm unwary travelers in search of blood, and assassin vines and shambling mounds hide among the mundane vegetation waiting for prey. Of course, there are also rumors of secret treasures in the bayou, so individuals who are greedy or desperate enough to seek a quick fix to their debts are always making the journey and providing the local wildlife with fresh meat. 
Some say that a kindly cleric makes her home in the bayou, helping those who seek to escape Dr. Facilier's influence, but as I was unable to meet Mama Odie in person, I could not learn whether she is truly a good cleric or merely a hag trying to build up a benevolent reputation. The city itself, as mentioned, covers its non-stop bustle with a facade of good cheer. However, the people of Crescent City are not rushing from place to place because they're swept up in the riotous joy of activity. They are rushing from place to place because if they stop for one moment, their debts will catch up to them. And when one's creditor is a powerful witch doctor, that is a prospect to give one pause. At one time, Charlotte's father Eli LeBeouf was known for his sumptuous parties, but those have ended with his death. Whatever Naveen's current priorities are, celebration is not among them. With that gathering place gone, the city's elite congregate in two establishments. One is Tiana's Place, the crown jewel of Crescent City, an upscale restaurant that caters to the local aristocracy, visiting royalty, and commoners who have come into a great deal of money. Dr. Facilier has a permanent reservation at one of the restaurant's tables, and he often conducts business there with individuals who would never dirty their hands by approaching his magic shop. However, neither Facilier nor any visitors to Crescent City can make their way into Club 33, a private dining club that exclusively serves the city's nobility. His newfound wealth and power, while considerable, are not enough for the gentry to allow a mere shopkeep to sully them with his presence. So our domain is Crescent City, and as mentioned, so happen to make up a weird name that's mm-hmm. a, that we don't have to come up with a description of part of it, like the Beast Castle that isn't the actual domain. Mm-hmm. The domain is Crescent City, and Crescent City is the domain. Yes. And we are imagining Crescent City is this very large city. It's a major port. It is built on the place where the river flows into the sea, a major waterway. It's surrounded by the bayou, and there's a couple of, like, small villages and settlements in the bayou. And that's kind of our domain, mm-hmm. sort of circled by mist and then to the sea. And this is – this is so good. Yeah. This is the great thing about having New Orleans as our setting. Mm-hmm. It means there's so much in the real world to draw on. It is one of the most haunted cities in the U.S. You can do so much with horror New Orleans. Yes, yes. I mean, Anne Rice has a whole yeah, career yeah. based on this fact. <laughs> or had. R.I.P. R.I.P. I'm pretty sure there was a Vampire the Masquerade setting book that was just mm-hmm. New Orleans. You can just buy the weird New Orleans book. Mm-hmm. You can just Google New Orleans spooky, New Orleans ghost story, New Orleans whatever. In terms of geography, you have look up maps, look up districts, look up all sorts of things. This is one of those things where if your players are like, oh, we're here, we're in this part of the city, and we want to get over to this other part of the city, and how long mm-hmm. is that going to take? So we're on a timer, and you don't have to go like, duh, 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 uh, big number. Yeah, you, you, don't, can... you don't have to do any mapping. Yes. Because, you know, the world has made a map for you. Yes, you can just... designed the city. <laughs> go to Google Maps and be like, okay, they want to go from, like, the middle of the French Quarter to, you know, the... Docks. The docks. And you just go to Google Maps, and you type that in Google Maps... And you click the little walking guy. Mm-hmm. And then you then you have an exact answer for You can even tell them, like, what landmarks, what districts are they going to go through. It's the greatest thing in the world it's for setting stuff. Amazing, yeah. 
And again, there's just there's so much to do. You know, we're gonna we're gonna get into this more when we talk about plot hooks and what do you right, do with yeah. it and all that stuff. Answers but anything you want. Anything you want, because that's the great thing is you don't even have to be engaging with Doctor Facilier at all. You can just be doing cool stuff with haunted New Orleans, vampire New Orleans. Do yourself a favor and look up the Ursuline Convent. That is some creepy stuff. Yeah. Like I actually made a pocket domain with Delphine LaLaurie as the Dark Lord. She was in, I think she was in season two of American Horror Story. Uh, or three or whatever three, the, New, whatever Orleans the New Orleans one was. But I did, way back in college, I had a pocket doing with Delphine LaLaurie as the Dark Lord. It's yeah. just, there was so much of this that is right out of the box usable. And even, like, more than a lot of our settings, if you don't want to do a full-on Ravenloft, mm-hmm. but you're like, I just want to have my regular D&D PCs do Princess and the Frog mm-hmm. or, like, do New Orleans, I hope this episode is useful for yeah. you because it's so good. This could just be, like, a place your characters go in your world that mm-hmm. doesn't have mists and dark powers and any of that. And there's the bayou, as we mentioned. That's a good place for all your nature dangers, entangling plants, all sorts of monsters, all sorts of creatures. We have got a couple of small villages and settlements. Some are hostile, some are friendly. So, you know, you've got the frog hunters, but you've also got Ray and the other fireflies. You've, there's intelligent animals because of all the magic. This is where Mama Odie lives, and that is your, your really powerful, good spellcaster. Mm-hmm. So that is your very, very powerful sort of counterweight to Dr. Facilier. So a common story you might have to jump ahead a little bit is braving all the dangers of the bayou to go to Mama Odie for some kind of magical help. We thinking cleric for Mama Odie? I mean, she's I think a gospel Yeah, she's song, very, right? yeah, she has yeah. a gospel song. She's very, like, divine. You know, she's doing radiant damage on the mm-hmm. shadows. Yeah, cleric, or even if you want to do anything, but just some sort of very good aligned, celestial flavored uh, spellcaster. Mm-hmm. The kind of acting is this counterbalance to Dr. Facilia. But the main thing we're going to talk about is the place where we have our Dark Lord, the place yeah. he didn't go to the bayou very much, Mm-mm. and that is the city. Mm. And once again, the great thing is we've got this real world to draw on. So we can say there's like the Garden District, mm-hmm. that that's where all the mansions are, the, the, the stately homes and mansions of the Sugar Barons and the Cotton Kings. That it's called the Garden District. The grandest, the most stately of stately mansions is the Labouf Estate. And the new master of the Labouf estate is Prince Naveen. Lottie is now technically, she inherited it, but her personality, plus the society they live in, the social expectations, plus probably a lot of manipulation, means that she's kind of a recluse in this estate. She's withdrawn from a lot of society. And Prince Naveen, her husband, is the one who's running everything. He's mm-hmm. the one that kind of making the decisions, writing the memos. She's signing the paperwork, but... He's the one making all the decisions. She might be, like, going out and partying if you don't want to have a yeah. recluse and be, like, in mourning and everything. That could be that, you know, Lottie drowns her sorrows yeah. in jazz and liquor. I could definitely see that happening. But one way or the other, she's not really involved in the day-to-day running of the estate because that's not the way that Dr. Facilia wants it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is a, a society we know where it's going to be very easy for everyone to just sort of defer to her husband. Mm-hmm. Even though they were married for literally a minute before her father <laughs> died. And we have the guest house. If you remember when Lawrence was pretending to be Naveen, he was staying at the guest house. But now the guest house is occupied by Prince Naveen's very unusual financial mm-hmm. advisor, Dr. Facilier. Says he's moving on up because, you know, he did climb the pyramid some. He does get a little mini mansion to live in, personal chef, wardrobe of fine clothes. Does get to enjoy some of the perks of clawing his way up the ladder. Got the Mary Kay car. Good for you, Dr. Yeah, for Facilier. you, Dr. Facilier. <laughs> 
And then there's the quarter, which is our big sort of commercial district. And that's where we have Dr. Facilier's voodoo emporium. And that is his kind of office. Like, that's where he does his occult business. He lives in the guest house. He'll sometimes do, like, financial stuff in the guest house. But Lawrence slash Naveen is sort of the cutout that really does all that. Giving the orders, writing the memos, buying the stocks. He's doing his voodoo in his voodoo emporium. And that's where he's meeting people for readings, for charms, for potions. He is still doing that. And we're also imagining this is kind of a sanctum, that this is, Mm -hmm. like, his place of power. This is where he has a lot of, like, magical stuff set up. This is sort of the best space for him to do any kind of ritual magic, to use the sort of 5E terminology, where he has all his supplies, any spell components he needs for rituals, anything like that. Mm -hmm. By the way, we're going to talk about this a little more when we get into challenges, but if you, you know, think about Dr. Facilier's Voodoo Emporium, we're like, actually, this is a very problematic portrayal of voodoo. Yeah, yeah, put a pin in that. We're going to get into that. Yeah, we know. We know. And if that's something that you don't want to touch with a 10-foot pole, then it can just be Dr. Facilier's Magic Emporium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, We are going to get into that. I promise we're going to get into that when we talk about strengths and challenges. But uh, for now, we're just going with the names that they have in in the Mm. movie. And then another thing we have in the quarter, in one of the sort of swankier, more touristy parts, is, of course, we have Tiana's Place. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that, or do you want me to? Oh, well, I mean, Tiana's Place is just the most upscale mm-hmm. restaurant. I mean, ever, anyone who's anyone goes to Tiana's Place. The crown jewel of the Crescent City, mm-hmm. to quote Dr. Facilia. Indeed. And this is what poor Tiana got herself mm-hmm. into hot for. And it is everything she wanted. It's everything she dreamed. It's exactly that vision that Dr. Facilia showed her. But now she is in debt up to her eyeballs like everyone yeah, else. Yeah. And she is kind of rubbing elbows with a lot of important people who are coming to her place in order to have their fancy dinners and their meetings and everything. And she gets a little bit taken off her dead if she kind of points some of them towards Dr. Facilier. Yeah. We're imagining Dr. Facilier, you know, you have that shot where he's in the back with his feet up with the menu. Mm. He has his, like, permanent table. Mm-hmm. That's just his table. And, yeah, if, if Tiana finds out someone's in a little bit of trouble and needs a little extra help... A little late on a payment, she knows she has a friend that she can steer them to, can help them with her problem, and she gets a little taken off. Mm-hmm. And don't worry, we love Tiana. We've got we've got plot hooks for how to... We're for not how to leaving her here. No, we're not leaving her here. We love her too much for that. <laughs> and then finally, we have a sort of a new location we're adding. This has all been movie stuff so far. You could find screenshots for any of these if you do the right mm-hmm. Google image search. And there's another thing in the French Quarter, and that's another kind of way to do a plot hook, which is Club 33. This is the most exclusive social club in New Orleans. It's not even the real name. It's just 33 Royale Street, so everyone calls it Club 33. The LaBeoufs were founding members. Eli LaBeouf, Big Daddy, was like the lifetime chair of the committee. Naveen has been given an invitation. Like, the club elders have extended an invitation to jump membership to Prince Naveen. Dr. Facilier has not. Mm-hmm. And so Naveen has not taken his invitation. <laughs> Because he got hit on the head by Dr. Facilier's cane one too many yeah, times. Yeah, many, yeah. yeah. And that's a, a, a thing, and that's a plot hook. And in the write-up uh, on DM's Guild, the free write-up in the style of Van Richten's Guide that we'll link to in the show notes, I'm going to have some more, like, some stores and some places. Mm-hmm. Nothing super important for plots, but just some nice little flavor you can sprinkle into your game if your players decide to go shopping, which they very well might in a big port city. They might, yeah, but we, we know that you don't want to listen to 20 minutes of describing various Easter eggs. So. Some of you do, and mm-hmm. you all got really excited when I said Club 33. And- <laughs> 
There's this, more where that came from. There's more where that comes. This is our our Disney nerdiest episode and probably will be our Disney nerdiest episode for the near future. Mm-hmm. There's one coming up this Disney nerdier in the future someday, but this is it for, for a while. You've got social climbing, you've got money, you've got everybody trying to make ends meet, you've got all the people in Tiana's place who fortunately the, the wonderful hostess can steer them to a friend. And this is that vibe of that mm-hmm. sort of everybody's hustling, everybody's striving that we're trying to go for. And that itself isn't necessarily negative, this kind of like hustling, bustling city of strivers. Mm-hmm. But this been corrupted by becoming a domain, the dark powers, it's Dr. Facilier. Now it is this domain of sort of desperation. It is this domain of backstabbing and Mm -hmm. you're just trying to claw your way over the other people so you can get up the ladder but everybody on the ladder even the guy at the top of the ladder dr facilier is Mm -hmm. just running full speed just to not fall down again yeah it's like this weird tiered treadmill and you have to run as fast as you can every day to stay where you are or to try and get ahead but if you get ahead that's just a, a nicer treadmill but you're still running full speed every day yeah they're drowning and they're climbing over each other to try and get up to where the air is and dr facilier is like god is no right yeah, the yeah. Water. but everyone under him is trying to pull him down so we are imagining that dr facilier we mentioned he's manipulating lawrence he's kind of controlling the labouf empire and he is he's not just trying to maximize the profit he actually is trying to use all those financial and social resources to drive people to desperation Mm -hmm. so to use our example of tiana's place and the bankers and everything this would be like no it's not just i can get cash from this other guy it's I want you to tell Tiana this and tell her she has the weekend to get a matching cash offer in full just to put her in that place of desperation, mm-hmm. just to force her into a place where then Dr. Facilier can come in and make her an offer to mm-hmm. make all of her dreams come true. Yep. And maybe they don't even have the cash offer. Maybe they yeah. think he just said, lie to her, tell her this. And then that way, when I... Like, come in and make her dreams come true. You just give her what you were going to give her anyway. Yeah, and if you do this, you get a little off your debt. Mm Because you guys are also mortgaged to your eyeballs, trying, scrambling, hustling every day to stop your whole bank from collapsing. Because you've been borrowing to pay off the debts, to pay off the bad investments you made, to pay off your gambling debts, whatever. This is just a... The term I keep coming back to is this is a domain of sweaty desperation. Yeah. If you enjoy, like, watching stuff about Fire Festival or Theranos... Or, you know, the Lularo documentary or any of that, this is the domain for you. <laughs> and ratings would suggest there's a lot of you out there, mm-hmm. but it's that the domain. Yeah. So, this is a pretty bleak place, but mm-hmm. it's got really good food and really good music. <laughs> it's got shrimp creole and what else really good shopping. And if your PC is catching beignets, maybe they were just smart enough to come for the tourism to just come for Mardi Gras to like <laughs> eat some beignets, eat some Creole, take in a jazz concert and buy some nice fancy dresses. But let's say they want more here. Why would they come to this place other than all the very good things we talked about? <laughs> Why would they come to this place and engage with some of those deeper, darker, more sweatily desperate parts of this city? Rachel, what do you do with it? Red possibilities. Bonjour, mademoiselle, and welcome to Dr. Facilier's Voodoo Emporium. 
And what does a lovely thing like yourself want today? Dr. Facilier tapped the sign to his shop with his cane, flashing me a charming smile. I got all sorts of things on offer. Potions, charms, need to draw the eye of that special someone. Curses, perhaps, if that special someone's eyes did a little wandering. No. No, you're a girl with questions. You need a reading. He fanned out a hand of Taroka cards, leading me into his parlor. I attempted to demur, saying that I had only come to obtain an audience with the famous Dr. Facilier, but he tipped his hat. My busy schedule doesn't allow much time for socializing, but I've always got time for a customer. Come now, I've got all the answers you're seeking right here. Oh, no charge, Cherie. The first one's always free. Little saying we got here in Crescent City. Realizing that this was likely my only chance to get a sense of the spider at the center of Crescent City's web, I agreed. He fanned out the cards again and instructed me to choose three, one each to represent my past, present, and future. I selected them and placed them face down, not entirely sure what to expect. Dr. Facilier's long-fingered hand turned over the first card, and I found myself looking at the Nine of Stars, the Conjurer, but not with the traditional art. This illustration showed a young man, and not just any young man. My brother, standing in front of that damned candle, and behind it, a looming silhouette that I knew all too well. Someone summoned up something bad. Not you, but someone close. Family? I had only drawn one card, but Facilier flicked it in his hand and fanned out three. Three cards. Three sisters' shadows, all silhouetted by the black flame. Called up a whole mess of trouble and you had to deal with it. He snapped the cards back together into one and flipped it, revealing the innocent. But this time, she was a little girl tied to a chair wearing a ridiculous pointed hat. I knew damn well what the innocent card meant. That stupid little girl was helpless. They made you feel small. You'd do anything not to feel that way again. Anything to get enough power to make them feel small. Be the one looking down for once. I tried not to let my feelings show on my face. Combining divination and illusion is a clever trick. You must be popular at parties. Every day's a party in Crescent City, Cherie. And everyone wants what I'm selling. When Facilier flipped the second card, he began to laugh. It was the marionette. But on this card, the puppet was carved to look like a woman in a pointed hat. Thought I'd get a marker on you, but you were morbid to the hilt. By who? Who's pulling your strings, I wonder? I couldn't hide my surprise this time. Or my indignation. What do you mean, pulling my strings? I have a business arrangement, that's all. Of course it is, smart little thing like you. I'm sure you read the fine print. Facilier flipped the marionette card over and laughed again. The reverse side showed the Master of Stars, but he looked remarkably like my patron. Faros, <laughs> Gotta hand it to you. You wanted power, and you got it. You hooked yourself a whale, or is it the other way around? My patron will be unsurprised to hear that a thousand questions came pouring out of me at that point, but Facilier dismissed them with a wave of his hand. No, no, if he didn't tell you, it's not my place to say. He turned over the third card to reveal the Five of Swords, a card that represented a turning point. But there's trouble in paradise. Don't get me wrong, an emperor can give you all the power your heart desires. He can make you so strong all the hexes and curses and sales in the world can't touch you. But there's a price. Another flip of the card, the Six of Stars. The art showed a looming silhouette like the ones on the first card, standing over a crowd of cowering people, but this one wore a pointed hat. There's always a price. There's also a choice. A final flip of the card, revealing the Four of Glyphs, a card representing protection of the innocent, devotion, 
loyalty. The woman in the pointed hat stood before a looming, skeletal figure, hands raised in defiance, and I could see familiar faces around her. A black cat, a zombie with a kind face, even some of the people I had met in my survey of these domains. Facilier tisked, flipping the card back and forth, showing these two possible futures. Oh, your odds don't look good, and me personally, I never play the odds. Hey, you know what they call corpse, love, friends, family, dead. He flipped the card face down and riffled it back into the deck. But there are other ways to power, he said, walking me to the door. You ever get tired of his royal highness? My friends are always looking for new blood. Come find me. Or not. Maybe this was all just a cheap parlor trick. Just a bunch of hocus pocus. I resisted the urge to slap him across the face and left him to his card tricks. I want adventure in the Great Wide somewhere. I want it more than I can tell. So, why did you come? I mean, presumably it's Mardi Gras tourist season, but right. you know, beyond that, why did you come to Crescent City? And but as Tom mentioned, he was joking when he was talking about like the the shops and the food and everything. But it is a major port. There's a lot of trade. There's a lot of magic. You know, I mean, you've got Doctor Facilier there for heaven's sake, and he's you know, trying to get at all these magic items and everything. So there is, it's in his best interest to be encouraging a trade in magic items. So there's a bunch of stuff there. There's if your PCs are doing the classic, you know, protecting a caravan or whatever, it can be going to Crescent City. If they're looking for a magic item, there's a good chance it's in Crescent City. There are all kinds of just rare items and whatnot that are passing through Dr. Facilier's hands, either because he wants them or because he knows somebody else wants them, and so he's going to make sure that he has it so he can dangle it in front of him. I think of every single domain we've ever done, and mm -hmm. probably ever will do, this is the one where you could just come and have a nice weekend. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if your PCs are adventurers, and if they were the kind of people that were smart enough to just come and have a nice weekend and eat beignets, then they would not be venturing into subterranean chambers full of traps and monsters to loot tombs. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what adventurers do. So it might be that they're just kind of going to find this stuff and they're just is happening to put them into Dr. Facilier's path. There's also, you know, we mentioned the divination. He's got the Taroka deck. He's got all of his various, you know, future eating divination powers. That's one of the main reasons that people engage with the Vistani. That's one of the big Vistani plot point things. If for whatever reason your PCs don't want to deal with the Vistani or they can't find the Vistani or, you know, Madame Eva, there's something that even she can't see. Ooh! Or that she refuses to tell you for your own good because it's too right. dark and dangerous. Oh, Dr. Vassilia is not going to refuse to tell you the dark he and dangerous thing. absolutely will tell you the dark and dangerous thing. <laughs> And then another possibility is, you know, we've got all these people who are desperate, who have been pulled into this debt up to their eyeballs. Maybe one of them is an NPC you know. Maybe you know somebody who just wanted to go to Mardi Gras uh, yeah. and have themselves a nice party, and now suddenly they owe their firstborn male child. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> to this warlock. <laughs> to this warlock. They don't even know what happened. They just had a couple of hurricanes and then mm -hmm. woke up and... And then the next thing Covered they did, in goat's blood. And, and they were a frog. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so maybe it's a friend of yours, or maybe you get hired by somebody where, like, they have somebody who went missing, and it's because they went to Crescent City and are now a frog. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the other possibility is if you want to do Mardi Gras, which you really, Mardi Gras. Do Mardi Gras. Like, PCs love parties. 
Right, they love festivals and holidays and parades and all sorts of stuff. I have never seen my PCs as excited. Well, no, that's a lie, because I think they're more excited about matchmaking adventures. But the <laughs> second most excited I ever saw them was when they got invited to a Borkin dinner party. Yeah, yeah. Because they got to dress fancy. Yeah, we had to pick out our clothes, <laughs> and we spent pretty much a session mm-hmm. investigating whether we needed gloves or not. Yes. Of course we did. It was Borka. But you know. <laughs> So, you know, go, go to Mardi Gras, let them party, let them, you know, schmooze and socialize and be all impressive. And then there's all kinds of stuff there that could happen. There are people from all over. They could be just going to celebrate. They could be trying to find someone. Maybe they've heard that someone is going to Mardi Gras and they, you know, want to find them there. Maybe they're trying to meet somebody that they know is going to be at Mardi Gras. Plus, it's just, it's a mystically potent time. There was the whole thing with... Yes, yes. Yeah. With, you know, Lottie was a princess for the one night. There are all kinds of bizarre, wacky, magical things you could have going on with Mardi Gras because it is this mystically potent liminal time. And the great thing is, it's just like we said with Nightmare Before Christmas and sort of Halloween. You don't need to give any exposition to sell the setting and the Mm -hmm. emotions and the vibes. You just say you are going to Crescent City for Carnival. Mm -hmm. And... The go there. Not that carnival. Yeah. The other carnival. Yeah. <laughs> or even say, you call it Mardi Gras. You're going mm-hmm. to Crescent City for their, their huge, weeks long citywide celebration of Mardi Gras. And your PCs are going to be like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh. We're going to Mardi Gras. Bart's having the best day of his life. Yeah, right. And you just describe some beads and some feathers and some masks. And there's a parade. And there's like, you know, there's crazy parties happening. And they will just dive right in. Mm-hmm. You barely need to do any expositional work. And they immediately get, like, the vibe of the setting, and they immediately get even stuff like the mystical. So you might be able Mm -hmm. to do something with, like, oh, well, you have this character that has this binding promise or oath or something, but... If you go to Crescent City on Mardi Gras, that's a time because the mask, it represents all rules being overturned. Mm -hmm. So during, until the stroke of midnight on Fat Tuesday, they are not bound. And they're just going to be like, yes, we we totally get that. We totally understand it. And it makes complete narrative sense to us. And I'm actually, I'm thinking about it and doing Mardi Gras, they're going just for the party. is going to be a really great way to get them in and introduce them to some NPCs. Yes, yes. Like, flesh out a couple of NPCs, have them be running into them at Mardi Gras, and, you know, if they just find out there's some, like, sad sack NPC, oh, woe is me, they made this bargain with Dr. Facilier Boohoo, they're not going to care about that. If that, you know, super hot half-elf that they danced with yeah, yeah. on, you know, the night before with Mardi Gras, if they found out that, that he's the one who's in debt to Dr. Facilier, then suddenly the stakes are higher. Or even, like, something as simple as, just because you your PCs get this setting, they get this vibe, it's the street, it's a parade, you're describing a little flavor, they're mm-hmm. making deck saves to catch beads, <laughs> and then, like, you have them do it, you, you do pass a perception, and they hear weeping. Mm-hmm. And it's a woman... In a kind of elaborate flamingo-themed ball gown, holding, like, a big bag of money, weeping. Mm-hmm. Sitting on a corner and weeping. And everyone's just walking by her, not reacting at all. They seem to be like, boom, there's mm-hmm. your story. Mm-hmm. Like, they, no PCs in the world will, uh-huh. will be able to resist that. Because it's Mardi Gras, and it's it's a three-year anniversary, and she remembers being so happy. But <laughs> 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 the bean, he's changed. <laughs> just... They're, and then, you, then they're in the story. And then they're mm-hmm. like, we want to help this sad lady have a good Mardi Gras. <laughs> used to be my favorite time of year. And, like, and they're like, we will move heaven and earth to, to make you have a fun Mardi Gras. So yeah, this is so good. Just do this. Like, 
And then once you get there, mm-hmm. once you got them there, which is going to be, as we've said, easier than basically any other domain we've said. <laughs> yeah. So you could just... Look, if you just have, like, they're at the docks in a random place, and like, yeah, this boat's go to Mardi Gras. Like, <laughs> you don't need to do any more work. Like, the paladin gets to scowl. Yeah, like, mm, having don't a know great about time this. On the yes. inside. They're going to have a blast. What do you do when you get there? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot, as we've mentioned, if you Google Weird New Orleans, mm-hmm. that is all you need right there. But if you want to do stories that interact with this core like setting specifically interacting with dr facilier interacting with the idea of he has this like spider web of debt and obligation mm-hmm. and manipulation then there's kind of two stories and they're basically the same story <laughs> and it's getting out of debt to dr facilier and it's either getting the pcs possibly the bard out of debt <laughs> like they wake up covered in coat's blood and now the bard's a frog and and they owe dr facilier or getting someone else. Like, this is the easiest one. You could get, they have an NPC, they either, it's one they've previously befriended, it's one they befriend in Crescent City, they're in deck to Dr. Facilier, he's getting ready to collect, like, they're mm-hmm. about to hit that deadline. Maybe the deadline is the end of Mardi Gras, stroke of midnight on Fat Tuesday. And the wonderful thing is, there's a whole bunch of different ways that can go. That core premise of you're trying to do something to get them out of debt. Maybe it's a kind of heist where you've got to get some stuff that he wants from the voodoo slash magic emporium, and then you can ransom it back to him. Maybe it's a social thing, so that's why we brought up Club 33. If you're a very social manipulation, persuasion, bard-based party, <laughs> the whole they they meet the elders of the city and they get to know them and they figure out what they want and they kind of figure out how to get them to offer Dr. Facilier an invitation. And then he might say, if you can get me this invitation to their Fat Tuesday gala, their Mardi Gras gala, I'll clear the debt. Mm-hmm. Or... It can even be something like a traditional dungeon dive, that if there's some magical artifact in a cave full of skeletons that he (laughs) wants, he sends you that and he says, yeah, you bring me this artifact, then I'll clear that debt. So any kind of problem solving, any way your players like to play can be, and that gets them out of debt. For an example of a dungeon dive. For an example, the (laughs) mentioned Disney reference. One of the places in the bayou is a region outside Crescent City called the Devil's Bayou. And the Devil's Bayou is called that because there are these sea caves there that used to be part of this pirate hideout. And the stories say that that is where the Devil's Eye Diamond was last seen. And the Devil's Eye Diamond is this incredibly mystically... Po- it's not just a valuable diamond. It's not just a big diamond. It's a mystically powerful gem. And Dr. Vasilia has let it be known that anyone that brings him the devil's eye is cleared of all, all debt. So in the city, there is Medusa's pawn shop run by Madame Medusa, and she mm-hmm. is up to her eyeballs in mm-hmm. hock. She is putting my fingers close together, that close to being on Dr. Facilia's bad list, to having the end of Princess and the Frog happen to her. <laughs> so she is desperate. She's found an old map that seems to say where the caves are, She's put all her hope and is going to, like, the craziest, most desperate measures to find someone who can go into these caves, which flood with the tides, which are full of pirate skeletons, and get back this devil's eye. And she'll maybe say that she'll split it 50-50. She's not going to split She's it 50-50. She's not going to split it 50-50. And there are a couple different ways you could do that. You could have it be that she is, you know, hiring the party to do this and dungeon dive and try and get the devil's eye. 
Or you could have it be that the caves are so small that no medium-sized creature can fit in there. So she's having to kidnap children or halflings or gnomes or other small creatures, and they are getting sent down there into these dangerous flooding caves every night, wondering who (laughs) will rescue them. (laughs) If you, if you haven't seen the mediocre 70s yeah, right. Disney movie you we're not 40 years, 40 years old. We rewatched The Rescuers. Madame Medusa is not a Dark Lord, but by Cracky, it was set in a bayou, and it actually fit really well with Homer. It had a, a cave full of skeletons. Yes, like, it's, it's a dungeon, a dungeon dive. dive. We could put this dungeon in Princess and the Frog. In the rescuers, they were able to do both because they were mice. So they, they could go down with Penny. You, you could have it be that your PCs are the ones going down there. They could be rescuing the ones going down there. You could just have it be that Madame Medusa is kidnapping halflings or children or whatever and sending them down there because they're helpless and can't fight back against her. Mm-hmm. She could fit down there if she wanted to, but it's scary and flooding. So she's right, not like, going it's to. It's not worth like, it being out of debt if then you're dead. Yeah. So, so the PCs, even though they're, you know, humans and elves, they can still go down there after that. And fight the pirate skeletons. Fight the pirate skeletons. With a really super cool flooding gun. mm -hmm. Ah, it's so good. And obviously, since this is D&D, the skeletons are going to come to life. I mean, obviously. That's how you fight them. Yes. You don't just hit bones with a sword. That would be silly. (laughs) So, the core story we're seeing is the getting either the party or an NPC out of debt to Dr. Facilier, or like, in some way, interacting with someone who's in debt, trying to get out of debt to Dr. Facilier. And in terms of the party getting in debt, you also, this is a good chance if they're trying to get something. The Dr. Mm-hmm. Facilier can get them almost anything. A magic item, a spell scroll, a service, a piece of information. They go, but now they owe him. And he gives them some kind of quest. He gives them an objective that they can do to pay off that debt. And Dr. Facilier will always offer them more. Like, he'll always say, like, oh, yeah, you got this scroll of raised dead that you need to help that NPC. I'll throw in, you know, if you don't mind owing me a little, like, you could owe me a favor later and I'll throw in this scroll of greater restoration as well. I mean, you come out of the dead, who knows what you might end up as. You need, really need that for insurance. Mm-hmm. And, oh, don't worry about it. You can pay me back later. So this is just, I mean, if you're a GM, you're just salivating right now. What a great, like, <laughs> quest dispenser slash troublemaker mm-hmm. for the PCs Dr. Facilia is going to be. So, we love this a lot. This is maybe the best Disney domain we have ever come up with. We are not really just excited about this one. In terms of us being smart, but in terms of, like, <laughs> as a setting. Tom is very modest. <laughs> everything about this is the best setting for a D&D game ever. Mm. And you might want to play this. I hope you do. I want to play this. <laughs> And you might want to be playing this with younger kids. Princess and the Frog is great. Your kids might love it. So, Rachel, what are some things we should keep in mind if we are deciding we're going to have our little party of 10-year-olds going up against Dr. Facilier? <laughs> yeah, this is this is our aging down section, because we like to talk about our aging down and our aging up, whether you're going to run this for kids who love Princess and the Frog or run this for adults who love horror and also Princess and the Frog. So on the kid side of things, a big thing here is going to be that with all of these people making these decisions out of desperation, there's going to be a lot of room for moral grayness, and kids don't do well with moral grayness. If it's an NPC that they like, a very sympathetic NPC who falls victim to a temptation, then they're kind of 
two ways you can go with that. And one is to have the temptation be extremely silly. That, you know, it's like Naveen turning into a frog because he wants the green. Like, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's goofy. Or even like, you know, Lottie, all of her wanting to marry a prince. You know, it's a terrible idea. And you, you could see Dr. Facilia kind of dangling it in front of her and everything if he wanted to. But Lottie's such a ridiculous character. If that were to be a deal she made with Dr. Facilia, it would be so goofy. Yeah. And... Unlike with Lawrence, we don't feel like it was a moral failing, or an unforgivable moral failing, at least, on Naveen's part, to enter into this deal. The opposite side of things, if you don't want to go the silly route, you might have kids who would really be outraged by the injustice. You know, when they get to a certain age... Younger kids are probably going to be more into the wanting it to be silly, but when they're starting to get closer to the tween years, that's when they start really caring about justice. And when they start really kind of connecting the dots of there are people who take advantage of others like this in the real world, and they need to go down. And this is their chance to vicariously take down... They can't take down people who, you know, prey on the weak in real life, but by cracky, they can take down Dr. Facilier. This is going to be fun for a lot of your adult players, too. Yeah. With the kids, though, you're going to get to want to make it a lot more black and white. You, know, you can really pull their heartstrings, have it be a sad thing, you know, doing what we're doing with Tiana. Though with Tiana, it was this really desperate situation she was forced into, or, you know, you can make up your NPC who, like, was about to be evicted from their home, and then Dr. Facilier showed up and got them out of it. Because he manipulated because things he so, they, yeah. so they were going to be evicted from their homes. <laughs> And if you do something like that, you want it to be that they made this deal, but they didn't do anything bad. You know, they made this deal and got turned into a frog. They made this deal and, you know, Tiana, she kind of like ushers people toward Dr. Facilier and looks the other way, but she doesn't like take Naveen's place and marry Lottie. Like, whatever it is that he gets them to do here, it might even be a little shady like what we're imagining with Tiana, but you don't want sympathetic NPCs to do anything too bad with kids because that's not really something they can handle. That would be really hard for them to process. Mm-hmm. That I'm this character is likable and sympathetic and I empathize with them and they did something truly morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. And that's something, again, we don't see that happen in the movie Princess and the Frog and there's a very good reason for that. And I think even with kids... With the thing with Tiana that we're doing, especially if you've got your daughter who went to Tiana three Halloweens in a row, obviously you're not going to want to have yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Tiana's place be a, a hive of scum and villainy. But you might want to cut the idea of Tiana having made this deal. You might want it to be that she's not pointing anyone toward Dr. Facilier herself. Maybe she just, like, she doesn't realize how much Dr. Facilier is using it as a base of operations. Like, she made this deal, and Dr. Facilier deliberately did it so he could have this, like, lovely, respectable place that, first off, he could enjoy the finer things of life. But also that you're you're much more likely to see him as being this big wig that you can go to if he's in a place like Tiana's place. If you did a thing where they're meeting Tiana... And they're learning, and Dr. Facilier's there, and they're like, that's Dr. Facilier, he's a bad guy. And she says, no, I know he's kind of scary, but he helped me buy the restaurant, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be here without him. Then that gives them a way to kind of soft-pedal Tiana, mm-hmm. she didn't do anything wrong, she doesn't know who Dr. Facilier is, mm-hmm. and then that also gives them, like, a great goal. Mm-hmm. They're going to be like, okay, we got to wake her, we got to get this fixed. We got to show Tiana who Dr. Facilier is and get her to stop taking money from him. Yeah. Either of us, if we were running a game set in Crescent City, we would absolutely have getting Tiana out of it as a part of the game because we love Tiana. You don't have to do that with adult players. You have to do that with kids. Yeah, yeah. They're not going to want Tiana, even if it's that she completely innocently thinks Dr. Facilier is the nice guy who set her up with the money for her restaurant. They're not going to want her to be in hawk to him by the time they leave Crescent City. 
And one other thing with Aging Down is the story that you can run with it is, once again, like with a lot of these, you can kind of just do Princess and the Frog with your kids, and they're going to love it. But the cool thing here is that there are going to be enough differences here that you're not just going to be kind of playing through the story. Because, like, with The Lion King, you're just kind of playing through the story, except the PCs are Nala. But if you're doing The Princess and the Frog, then, you know, right now, the way that we have it, all the characters they love are in a pretty miserable place. Mm -hmm. But the linchpin for all... All of it is that Dr. Facilia still has Naveen. That he's got his little, like, talisman thing, and he's able to bleed Naveen regularly so that he can keep Lawrence shifted to look like Naveen. And if you're able to get Naveen away from Dr. Facilier, or if Naveen just escapes on his own and you're able to keep him away from Dr. Facilier, then that whole house of cards comes tumbling down. I could see this whole campaign unfolding before Mm -hmm. me, where they meet Lottie, she's really sad, Naveen's been acting really weird and different ever since they got married. They check out Naveen. They use detect magic. Mm. They see he has this, like, talisman of polymorph of disguise mm-hmm. on him. They notice there's this day that he locks himself in and refuses to see anyone. They see Dr. Vasilier comes out of the mansion with the talisman, going to the guest house. Mm-hmm. They follow. You just bam, 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 take yeah. every step to follow because you have this great MacGuffin of the talisman, just like in mm-hmm. the movie. If they just twig to the fact that that's the MacGuffin, that'll lead them right to Naveen. Yeah. And Dr. Facilier has to be visiting Naveen regularly to bleed him because we know that's like 48 hours of blood per mm. go. So. Yeah. And in this version of events, we have it that Tiana doesn't know that Dr. Facilier is bad. Well, if you bring her this guy that he turned into a frog uh-huh. so that her best friend could, you know, marry a fraud, mm-hmm. then she's going to know that Dr. Facilier is bad. That lets them get Tiana out. It lets them yep. give Tiana and Naveen a meet cute. Yep. You know, maybe they kiss and Tiana turns into a frog. Right, you know, and maybe all your PCs turn into animals and have a bayou adventure. Yeah, that would be great. And then at the end of it, then they can... Prove that this has happened, they can rescue Naveen, get the talisman, break the talisman, whatever. Lawrence turns back into Lawrence, Lottie gets an annulment, Naveen turns back into a human, he and Tiana get married, and then you still have Dr. Facilier's torment continuing, he doesn't get hauled off like he does at the end of the movie, because by this point he's built enough of a power base that he has a lot of favors he can still haul in, but man, he's hurting. Yeah, yeah. Like, he doesn't have Tiana's place to schmooze in anymore. He doesn't have all those connections to Lawrence and Lottie because, you know, the LeBeau family fortune all belongs to Lottie. Yes. So you get Lawrence away, and he doesn't have any of it anymore. And so you've destroyed his power base, and he's not being dragged away by the friends on the other side yet, but boy, howdy, he thought he was hustling before. He doesn't know the half of it. He's back to, like, square one, back Mm -hmm. to he doing werewolf baldness cures for for nickels. (laughs) Hustling for nickels in the streets of the Big Easy. You have ruined his life. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing that, on the one hand, there is the Dark Lord plot armor, which is always kind of an issue, narratively. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand... The plot armor is that this torment keeps going, and that gives you a lot of flexibility, especially because, compared to some of the Dark Lords, this is a fairly abstract torment. Yeah. This is that he's always going to be in debt, he's never going to get ahead, he's always, no matter what successes he has, it's always going to lead to more debt for the next day, and that could be any number of social positions he could occupy. Mm -hmm. It's not like, he was king of New Orleans, but he will never have a male heir, like a very specific (laughs) torment. So that does give the players a lot of flexibility to change the status quo. That, you know, Dr. Facilier, in our imagining, he's basically living his torment even before the movie starts. Mm -hmm. 
we're just making it official. Yeah. And so if you, you can get him back to where he was before the movie starts, you just can't do the full-on dragged away to the underworld at the end. Like, he's mm-hmm. still there. He's still hustling. He's still being Dr. Facilier. And honestly, isn't that a better world? <laughs> Don't we all feel a little sad when he gets all the way at the end because he is too fabulous? And then we're going to talk about the racial aspect and aging up a little bit. But again, if that's a thing that you want to engage in with your kids, if they're getting at a point where you're starting to talk about, you know, racism and anti-racism and social justice and all that stuff with them, and you want to kind of play with that a little bit, then this is kind of a safe space to explore those themes. If that's something that they're not ready for or that you're not ready to do in kind of like a frivolous, playful setting, then one way to get around it is to have it be much more of like a nobles and peasants thing. The great thing is we've got Naveen and he's, he's an actual prince. Yeah, yeah. And so you could say that there actually is this noble class. It's not that Dr. Facili and Tiana have the deck stacked against them because of their race. It's because they are commoners. Right. That, like, when the bankers come and they say, you know, a woman in, of your situation, they mean a woman who has no noble blood, whose parents were common laborers, mm-hmm. shouldn't be owning property. Mm-hmm. Right? That does That's not going to work in society. And that might take some of the sting out. Yeah. Tom, what if we want to put the sting in? What if we want a whole beehive sting? <laughs> So normally this is where future Rachel would come in and tell you how far to skip ahead, but this is kind of more like Treasure Planet or Sleeping Beauty. Like, this is stuff that I don't think I would want to play with my kids, but it's fine to listen to with their kids in the room. So, Tom, give us a beehive. So, a beehive. Honey the Pooh. We're going to get that honey. (laughs) So, you can really play up the prejudice as part Mm -hmm. of the society. Uh, Princess and the Frog. Session Zero Whip. Yes, God. Um, (laughs) But Princess and the Frog... It's present, but in a very light way, which is understandable if you're making a Disney movie trying mm-hmm. to sell pajamas to children. Uh-huh. But it is there, and so this would not be putting in a social theme. This would be just shining a spotlight on a social theme, which is very much objectively present in the original movie, and making that even maybe something that you can play up in terms of Dr. Facilier trying to drive people to desperation, trying to manipulate people in need, people that feel low, they're treated low by society. And once again, to bring back the MLM metaphor, it's not an uncommon strategy for Mm -hmm. those sorts of organizations to prey on the desperate and the people whose society is treated very badly and to offer them this sort of false hope of advancement Mm -hmm. and to just take all their money and leave them broken and with their souls forfeit to demons in this case yes and you know if again if this is something that you're like oh you know i'm interested in this but it's like juggling chainsaws yeah yeah you know just like we talked about with peter pan you have other options here of like maybe it's fantasy racism maybe dr facilier is a dwarf you know maybe there's like it's very human dominant silly mental image it is silly mental image (laughs) that takes some of the sting out of it definitely (laughs) but dr facilier is a tiefling you yeah, know, that works. And Tiana's an elf, and they just really are not good to non-humans in Crescent City. That might be a, th- a way to go. Or you could do the nobles and peasants thing mm-hmm. and just take it much more seriously. Yes. Like, as a discriminatory society, as an oppressive society, as a restrictive society, and just really kind of treat it like the real prejudices and oppressions of that kind of class-stratified society. Mm-hmm. And this is the opposite, the flip side, if you're playing for adults, that you really want to play up the shades of gray. Kids could never feel sympathy for those bankers. Adults could if you spin it the right way. Yeah. You could be like, wow, we hate you and you're racist, but it is very hurting my heart to hear how in debt you are. (laughs) 
how you have been manipulated to making these decisions that have pushed you further and further into debt. We hate you, but we're going to help you and then force you to make restitution to all yes, the people yes, that you've yes. hurt. But we're not just going to kick you repeatedly. Right, yeah. And that adults, even they might have the, you are villains and we're going to fight you, but they're, they're going to probably actually, in some cases, enjoy it more if they have the kind of twist of sympathy. With mm-hmm. the, like, we, we kind of can imagine being in that situation. We can imagine being in that situation, but we wouldn't have done that, so that makes them even more disgusting. Like, there, there are a lot more ways it can go with adults. And finally, this is Mardi Gras, New mm-hmm. Orleans. There is a reputation mm-hmm. that is a thing that you, with your bard, that you might mm-hmm. be playing up with more with an adult party. Mm-hmm. And the idea of temptation and the idea of mm-hmm. manipulating someone with temptation, you get where we're putting that. Session zero. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely do that. You are picking up what we are putting mm-hmm, down, mm-hmm. and you understand that that is the kind of thing we're going to mention in the mm-hmm. aging up section. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's a whole spectrum of ways of presenting this same core story, the same core setting. And let's give a last couple of things you might want to think about as hopefully you are furiously writing notes preparing for your <laughs> campaign set in Crescent City. Let's give you some parting thoughts in a session that we like to call Parting Thoughts. So, for the first of our parting thoughts, we always talk about our genres of horror from Van Richten's Guide to Ravenloft. What are the genres of horror for this setting? So, Tom, what do you think are the genres of horror for Princess and the Frog slash Christmas City? There's one I have a very strong sense of, Mm -hmm. and I'm not totally sure about a second. Like, Mm -hmm. I got a couple of options, but none of them I'm, like, super in love with. Mm -hmm. And the one I have a really strong sense of, the one that's definitely going in the domain Uh write-up, is Dark Fantasy. Yes. That this is such a magical mm-hmm. setting. It's such an enchanted setting. And it's such a setting, this, this, this wonderful mix of like a more modern setting, but a very classic fairy tale story structure and even a classic fairy tale, like so much fairy tale logic. So mm-hmm. like, spoiler alert for this depressingly move, old movie that I listen to a <laughs> podcast about, but the ending where they get married mm-hmm. and they kiss. Which means she's a princess, which means he's kissing a princess, mm-hmm. which breaks the spell is mwah. Fantastic. That is like one of the best endings Disney's ever done mm-hmm. in terms of just it's all right there. It all makes sense. And it is a perfect like fairy tale logic. Yes. Or even with what they think it's going to be that because Big Daddy is king of Mardi Gras, as long as it's Mardi Gras, Lottie's a princess. Mm-hmm. That is fairy tale logic. Yes. So that gives you the fantasy, but it also has that wonderful dark element. Yes. That, like, the magic is scary. The Shadow Man, Dr. Vasily, is scary. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence that in a lot of the Disneyland Halloween stuff, mm-hmm. Dr. Facilier is a very prominent character. Like, Dr. Facilier is in kind of the same tier in terms of character stuff as, like, Oogie Boogie or Jack Skellington or the Sanderson sisters. He's mm-hmm. not just a Disney villain. He's a Disney Halloween villain. I mean, he's basically an evil witch. Yeah, which, yeah. You know, just a dude. <laughs> so this is like a, a classic fairy tale and story, but it's a classic fairy tale that's a much more Halloween classic fairy tale than mm-hmm. a lot of the other. You got like Jafar is 
on the street of the parade, waving at people. Dr. Fischelli gets a whole float yeah. to his own. So just dark fantasy, dark fantasy. Mm-hmm. So that did the easy part, Rachel. I'm going to like <laughs> toss that softball over to you. What do you think might be a second genre? I was really hoping that the genre you picked <laughs> would be dark fantasy because that was... Right. But I think if I had to pick a second genre, I'd probably go with psychological horror mm, because yes. of all the desperation leads to backstabbing, like uh-huh. kind of a similar vibe to what we were talking about with Treasure Planet, mm-hmm. that you do have since everyone is kind of hustling, everyone's got their own, uh, like, little scams going on the side, that it's hard to know who you can trust. There so. is probably a ton of gaslighting. <laughs> city, city of mm-hmm. gaslights. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like, <laughs> you know, you really only need three hours of sleep a night. <laughs> no, no, my doctor said you only Take need three hours of it. sleep a night. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can take out a fourth mortgage. It's yeah, exactly. Fine. Think, I think psychological yeah, yeah. horror just for all of the, <laughs> the levels of social pressure that are Especially, going on here. If you're leaning into that, you know, thing that we're clearly delighted by with the the city's kind of an MLM, mm-hmm. then an MLM is a psychological horror, mm-hmm. so that absolutely fits. The one I was thinking, I was thinking psychological horror, but we've got almost all the ingredients to make a delicious Cajun gothic gumbo. We like, do. Al- like, right, it's almost there. There's a lot of Southern there. gothic yeah. there. Yeah, and I, I love me some Southern gothic. And I'm trying to figure out what's missing because it doesn't quite feel right. I think it's the sense of age. Yes, yes, There's not, yes. Yeah, it, even watching the movie, having a 20s, it is. it has this very, like, new, very right, free-willing right. feeling. And it doesn't have that kind of... With your Southern Gothic, it's something like Interview with a Vampire. Yeah, Where yeah. you've got, you know, Lestat as this ancient force coming in, and he's feeding on Lewis, who is, you know, owns a plantation, so he's representing this ancient way of life. So you don't have the sense of age, I think, that's so nice no, yeah. for Gothic. Absolutely, I think the thing it's missing here, because... New Orleans is, like, one of the core settings of the Southern Gothic. Southern Gothic is one of the, ma- like, I think the two major branches of the American iteration of the Gothic. There mm-hmm. are a million Southern Gothic things. You just mentioned Interview with the Vampire, mm-hmm. which is scratching the surface. And plenty of them are set in New Orleans mm-hmm. or in, like, Louisiana and tying into that sense of kind of slightly alien oldness of New Orleans and of Louisiana. Our girl Flannery O'Connor right, yeah. are all your Southern Gothic needs. The key thing, I think, is what you're touching on with aging. And one of those components of the Gothic is just the past reaching into the present. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, we're, like, at the present. Yeah. Like, if you jumped the timeline, like, 30 years, mm-hmm. especially if we're about, like, a second generation, mm. then this would be a masterpiece, A1 Southern Gothic story, New Orleans Gothic story. Mm-hmm. If it were much more like this, these sins happen, these transgressions, these horrible dark bargains were done in past generations of these families. You could do something interesting, actually. I'm not going to spoil it because it's not a movie everyone's seen, so I'm not going to spoil exactly how everything plays out. But thinking about, like, a second generation where the previous generation made demonic bargains, everyone go read Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. It's really good. And this this isn't too much of a spoiler, what I'm going to touch on here, is that there's the czar and everyone knew his mother was a witch. And that that's kind of been passed on to him, and he also has kind of like this demonic pact going on. And kind of the idea of it being passed down generationally. The idea that, you know, someone has kind of inherited, if, if you're doing a son of Vassilier or whatever. Like yeah, right. Someone who's kind of inherited Dr. Vassilier's. Or, you know, if you want to have Dr. Vassilier because he's great, then you could say that he kind of inherited these debts from his father. Mm-hmm. And that, like, his father taught him all of this voodoo stuff, but didn't teach him the downsides. Right. And so you could have it 
it be that, yeah, that it is a previous generation that's done that. That's, that's interesting. And yeah, if yeah. you did that, if you did a Dis- Disney's Descendants, the Kohlers, Ravenlofts, Crescent Cities, Princess and the Frog, if you did a, like, 20-year, 30-year generational time jump, do Southern Gothic. And that even then, you could get, if you jump the timeline, a lot of more of the aesthetic signifiers. That's the big mm-hmm. reason that it doesn't jump up and scream gothic because it doesn't have a lot of those as you said aesthetic signifiers of age it's trying to be very modern yes exactly which which is strange to say about a movie about the 1920s but but it it, it does have a very like everything is modern feel there's no point where we have the like decaying ivy covered Mm -hmm. kudzu covered mansion Mm -hmm. which is like the thing you have to have to have southern gothic you have to have an old family mansion full of a degenerate, like, old-moneyed family, and the mansion is decaying and it's covered in ivy. Which, once again, if you're talking about Lottie and Lawrence's yeah. kid living in this, you know, no. that works out great. Right, so there's a little bonus possibility story thing if you wanted to really get your kind of Anne Rice as the princess in the fall, <laughs> then, like, do a time. Oh, time. I just went to a scary mental place. Okay. Right, yeah. Um. <laughs> so that's, I'm probably going to go with, because it fits much what we're doing, the psychological horror, but it's interesting to think about the gothic in this movie and this story and think about how they do and don't mix. We've looked at some of the genres we think fit this setting. There's one is absolutely clearly this setting and a couple of others it sort of touches on. And then we talk about what kind of game you're going to run in that genre of horror. So some domains like Barovia, like Darkon, they are a rich, complex setting where you could have an entire years-long game just set in those domains. Like, mm-hmm. you could take what they do, and even just the 5e, the, the couple of pages right up dark on mm-hmm. material, and if you're willing to do a lot of the work, that is scores of sessions. Oh, yeah. Just playing out all those plot threads and all those NPCs and all those conflicts. Others are, like, one single cool adventure. Mm-hmm. So... Dominion. Hey, remember that time when we went to the Creepy Asylum and it was yeah, creepy? Yeah, yes. And they didn't break out? There's a creepy asylum, you get put there, you have to break out. That's all there is to it. That's mm-hmm. the one story for Dominion. And it's a good story, it's a horror classic, mm-hmm. but it's one story. And this is the setting that I think of every single oh, setting yeah. we've looked at is the richest in terms of a full campaign could mm-hmm. be here. Like a couple of the settings you said, this is our best since The Lion King. This is better than This is better than The Lion King. This is, I want to play in this setting so bad. And not even just because you have a lot of possible plot hooks, but because you have that New Orleans as a source. Mm-hmm. Because you can just go on a bookstore, Look for real ghost stories of New Orleans, New Orleans ghost walk, you know, book, mm-hmm. b- load your shopping cart, and that is literally years of gameplay. Like, with some of these richer domains, like Barovia, you can have a ton of adventures in Barovia that never involved Strahd or Tiana yes, in yes. the slightest. You can have a million adventures in yeah. Darkon and never meet Azalon. Yes. And this is very much a domain like that, where you can just do whatever kind of crazy New Orleans ghosts, vampires, you know, whatever you want to do, and not encounter Dr. Facilier at all. Right. Or you can have Dr. Facilier. The, the wonderful thing is because we're kind of imagining Dr. Facilier as this, like, spider and this network mm-hmm. of, like, debt and power and obligation and favors... You can even have Dr. Facilier as a 
presence in the city, but he's not necessarily the antagonist of your game, like Mm -hmm. the direct bad guy that's the boss fight of your Crescent City campaign. Mm -hmm. So I have written my notes here. (laughs) Get those Star Wars slot in your bigger card ready. (laughs) Like, if you're running a Star Wars game and you're kind of being fringers, you're being scroungers, you're being scum and villainy, and you have Jabba. Mm-hmm. And Jabba's there, and everyone knows him, and you don't mess with him, and you occasionally clash with his minions, and you occasionally do jobs for him, and it's always this really, like, high-wire act mm-hmm. of, we're going to get paid really well, but this is super dangerous to have anything to do with Jabba. And they never fight Jabba. And maybe in your Star Wars game, you're like, no, they can't, be, you know, they're going to kill him at the end, in Return of the Jedi. But that's okay. Like, Jabba can be a presence Mm -hmm. in the game, and he doesn't need to be the boss fight of the game. Mm -hmm. He can just be this kind of part of the setting that the PCs are aware of that they occasionally cross paths with. Mm -hmm. And that can be Dr. Facilier for Crescent City. The core adventure, if you're saying, I love this, but I want to do a whole domain hopping, and I want what sort of the core Crescent City experience... Like with Brovia, you're like, yeah, that's all great, 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 great. What's like the core experience? Yeah, what's, what's the save to Iana from Strahd? And it's that, save to Iana from Strahd. It's doing Castle Ravenloft. The Hickmans did it for you. It's you meet Irenia, Strahd is after her, you take her under your wing, you protect her, and you fight Strahd. Mm-hmm. And you dungeon dive Castle Ravenloft, and you have a boss fight with Strahd. That's the core Barovia experience. Mm-hmm. And the core adventure here is what Rachel said in the Aging Down section, which is you get Tiana to form. Mm-hmm. Like, Tiana and Lottie, and it's getting kind of the two of them to realize the terrible situation they're in and kind of turn against that situation. Mm-hmm. It's getting Tiana to get through the movie, basically, and be able to say, you know what, I am doing immoral things to keep my restaurant open. I am throwing people to, into the lion's den in order to keep this restaurant open. That's not right. That's not what my father would have wanted. That's not what my father would have wanted. I am not, in fact, honoring his memory. I Mm -hmm. I need to do this another way. I need to find another way. It is not worth having this restaurant to be doing evil and to be helping Dr. Facilier. Mm -hmm. And then with Lottie, it's the whole, I'm miserable. I hate this. Mm -hmm. This is terrible. I want a divorce. Yes. (laughs) Or even just, I need to take more responsibility in the things being done in my name. Lawrence I, is nothing without me. Yes. I need to read the paperwork before I sign yeah. it. And I'm the owner of LeBouf Enterprises, mm-hmm. LeBouf Industries. I am responsible for the things it is doing. And so I need to be aware of the things. I need mm-hmm. to involve myself in the day-to-day operation and the decisions. And either of those and both of those together are going to be a serious hit on Dr. Facilier's power. Thinking about Lottie, that's actually another way, if you want to play up the gothic, if you basically have her be Mrs. Rochester. <laughs> yes. <laughs> She's just locked up in the attic. Yeah, yeah, things. <laughs> yeah. And that even could be a whole thing. Like, if they full-on strong-armed her. Oh, I love that. They full-on mm-hmm. strong-armed her and, like, have her locked up in the mansion. Maybe she found out. Yeah. Maybe they got the blood to Lawrence too late and she saw him, but... Legally, they're married, yeah. and until, you know, she can get out that no, there's horrible magic going on, then there's no... So she's, yeah, she's so. locked in the attic, and they, she gets her food after she signs the papers that, mm-hmm. for that week. <laughs> and you, you spring her. Uh-huh. You get her out of there. You beat up Lawrence. Yeah, I think you and, spring Naveen while you're at it. Yes, and then you, 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 you take her to the papers, and she reveals the truth, and <laughs> suddenly Dr. Vasilia loses the Industries, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that is huge hit on his power. <laughs> 
Freeing the Dean is also a, a thing. Yeah, you know, know. he's nice. Guy. They, are, they are my true ship. So. And either of these, once again, to bring the Jabba example, like, you're, even if you're going to say your PCs can't go kill Jabba or, like, can't overthrow Jabba, you could take a chunk out of his network. Uh-huh. You can say, you know what? He had this whole spice operation he was doing, running it through Tatooine, and you, like, stop a lot of that. Mm-hmm. You hurt him in a significant way. Mm-hmm. And that's what you can do here with Dr. Facilier. Yeah. So another thing we'd like to talk about in our parting thoughts is how to incorporate these new Disney domains into some of the existing Ravenloft domains. And some of them are a little uh, tricky uh, to do. This is not at all because we already have a Louisiana domain and that's Serrania. Mm-hmm. But the great thing with Serrania is it doesn't have a New Orleans because if you've only read the, the 5e, then Serrania there is, there's like a prison in the swamp and Anton Misroy was like the warden of the prison and you know, now all of the prisoners are zombies because they revolted because it was so horrible. And I think that's because originally it was getting into some of the more actual New Orleans, yeah. Southern Gothic stuff. They weren't prisoners. Um, it was, <laughs> You're it picking was, up what we're yeah. putting down. And you could probably also understand why Watsi would decide to uh-huh, they didn't want to touch this <laughs> not deal with Nope. It is a classic Southern Gothic trope, but mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to deal with that, and that is totally fine. But anyway, so Saranya was originally this, it's very bayou-based, culturally very Louisiana. So you could really easily have it be that, you know, Crescent City is New Orleans, and then it goes out into the bayous, and then beyond the bayous is Saranya. You were talking back in our Frozen episode about how they used to have the concept of the Islands of Terrors and the Clusters. And that you had the core, and then beyond that, you had some clusters that were themed together. So in Frozen, we talked about, we had Verostikov and Sanguinia, which were the two ice-bound domains. So they were linked together on kind of a little mini-continent. And here you could have Saranya and Crescent City are linked together on their own little island that the values connect. Wasn't Saranya an island originally? It was an island, yeah. Right. It, didn't have, like, it didn't have anybody else with it, but it was, it was off by itself. You so. want to do this with the old material? Get the map of Saranya. Mm-hmm. Find a place where a river flows to the ocean. Put a dot there. <laughs> <laughs> and write Crescent City and then put a little circle around that. Mm-hmm. Boom. Like, that is how easy it is to slot this into the pre-existing Ravenloft material. Yeah. Also, my turn to bring in some of the old material. Mm-hmm. Oh, plot twist. twist. They also did a decent amount of stuff about New Orleans in the old Mask of the Red yes. Death setting. Yes, Which they did. is the most bonkers, mm-hmm. like, sweet, precious little baby that everyone ignored. <laughs> like... Just, uh, it's, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to do a whole thing about it, but basically, there's, there's like. There's a whole thing, yeah. Like, and I believe, like, a lot of the third edition stuff, for whatever legal reasons, is not on DM's Guild, but I believe you could get all of the Mask of the Red Death stuff on DM's Guild, and that'll give you, like, a lot of spooky New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They've got stats for Delphine LaLaurie, who I mentioned, mm-hmm. and they've got New Orleans stuff. I think they have a couple of 3.5 classes that are kind of voodoo-based, which, again, mm-hmm. we'll get into that in challenges. Uh, put a pin in that. But there's some options there. The other thing you could do if you don't want to get into Saranya, if you're saying, you know, please don't give me homework, please don't give me a shopping list, <laughs> I just want to go off of the 5e stuff. So if that's the case, then the other thing this fits in really well with is that we already have a francophonic fake it till you make yep. it domain in Daemon Loop. 
So you could have it be connected to Damon Lu, either physically or culturally. Mm. Or even if you didn't want to have Dr. Facilier as a Dark Lord, if you wanted to stick with the core domains and the canon domains, you don't want to bring in this whole idea of the Disney thing, you could really easily have Dr. Facilier as an NPC in Damon Lu, who's kind of a fixer. And all these people who are trying to go to the ball and make a name for themselves. If they don't want to go to the hags, they go to Dr. Facilier instead, and they don't realize that he's just as bad. Like we were saying, the thing is that Dr. Facilier, pretty much all his Dark Lord stuff is already there mm-hmm. at the beginning of the movie before in our timeline he's technically a Dark Lord. Yeah. Like, honestly, his power level goes up and he can close the borders, and he's rich now. <laughs> like, but in terms of his role in the city, his conflict, his torment... All of that's already there, so he could just be this infernal warlock in Game on Loop. Yeah, or anywhere else you want to put him. Yeah. You know, he's a very usable NPC. You can put him just about anywhere that he's going to get. He's kind of the, the fixer of the fence, the guy that the PCs go to to right, get whatever right. it is they want, but for a cost. So yeah, Damon Lu works beautifully thematically with a bunch of the stuff that Dr. Facilier has going on. Man, he would do very uh, well for himself in Damon Lu. He sure would. But, you know, if you wanted to drop him in Darkon in your campaign, you know, he, he would fit great in yeah, Darkon yeah. because it's so high magic. There's so much you can do with Artifacilier. Oh, I love him so much. A lot of the core elements are very transferable. Mm-hmm. Not even just Artifacilier, but it could be this whole, there's this powerful noble from the LeBouf family with mm-hmm. his daughter Charlotte. And she married who she thought was this prince from this foreign land. And now all this horrible stuff. And, like, Prince is using the financial empire to, like, force people into desperation. And there's this restaurateur named Tiana. Mm-hmm. Like, all of that could be in Darkon. Yeah, it's very easy to just drop the city somewhere else and not have him be a Dark Lord of Passage you want to do. The last thing that we're thinking of incorporating is Dr. Vasily. He's the guy who gets you what you think you want, but it's with a terrible cost. Poison pill, all that good stuff. If you have him as an NPC who's transferable to other places, we already have an NPC like that. His name is The Caller. <laughs> but you know what The Caller is? He's a demon. Yeah. Or as one might call him, a friend on the other side. Mm. So if you wanted to bring in some of the canon demons from Ravenloft as Dr. Facilier's patrons... That would be a really cool way to be able to hook them into your campaign. If it turns out that the Caller is one of Dr. Facilier's patrons, or the Whistling Fiends. Yeah, this is not quite violent enough to be his kind of thing, but who knows? Maybe he has a lot of friends on the other side. Mm -hmm. Maybe the Whistling Fiend is one of them. If you can find Van Richten's Guide to Fiends anywhere, it's got a boatload of different cool, gothic, Ravenlofty fiend ideas in there. But those are just two that you can get just from the, the 5e book alone. And this is another way you could actually, in a wider campaign, have Dr. Facilier or even a Dr. Facilier-type character, Mm -hmm. this infernal warlock running this kind of network of power and of crime and of occult favors as a kind of mid-boss, a Mm mini-boss, that you get onto him that way, you fight him, but now you know there's this demon out there with this wider agenda who was his patron. Mm-hmm. And then that's an obvious kind of next big bad for your campaign is whoever the patron was. Oh, if the caller's his patron, it's going to be so fun if Carnival ever goes to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Crescent City, totally different. That's a completely different city. <laughs> so this is an excellent segue, as we're just gushing about how amazing oh this is, God. into <laughs> the last thing I'd like to talk about, which is the strengths and challenges in this is 
some stuff we mentioned. But we'll start with Strikes, which are... It's amazing. It's oh great. God. It's New Orleans. It's atmosphere. It's the bayou. It's this, voodoo. It's, this isn't even us tooting our own horn. It's the movie is so yes. good. New Orleans is so good. Southern Gothic is so yes. good. Like, we're barely having to do anything here. It's like, just the material we have to work with is phenomenal. New Orleans is probably mo- more than anything the iconic other than mysterious, like, old small town in the south bayou with, <laughs> with lots of ivy-covered mansions. It's one of the iconic American Gothic settings, which, as we've mentioned, is one of, like, your core American branches of horror and is the American iteration of the core Ravenloft mm-hmm. genre of horror. Saranya, like, it's kind of amazing Saranya isn't more of an A-tier domain I- because it, it really is filling a niche that needs to be filled. I really think that it's only because it's an island. Yeah, yeah. That there was a bunch of metaplot stuff with the core, that they were interacting with each other in fun ways, and because Saranya was an island, it was cut off from a lot of that. And I honestly think if it weren't for all the problematic stuff, mm-hmm. that it would have been one of the A-tier domains in yeah, 5e. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, Harakir had the same kind of problem. that It, it was the mummy domain. Right, which is awesome. And all that other stuff. But it was off on its own, being its own thing, like just an, an island by itself. It was never really brought in as a full A-tier domain. But they were able to do the 5e write-up for it because it's a lot easier to de-problematize yeah. that than plantations. Yeah. <laughs> and also I would say because it didn't have like a famous adventure... As far as I know. Night of the Walking Dead, but that isn't as big as... Right, right, right. Ones. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun zombie mash, but it's it was just, you know, a little... Even it was a very low-level adventure. It was, mm-hmm. like, I think second-level PCs. So this is, much like with Arendelle, this is kind of a space to be filled mm-hmm. in Ravenloft in terms of there's, like, there's no point in making a spooky vampire Transylvania domain or a Frankenstein domain, mm-hmm. but there's... A space to be filled for a ivy-covered, decaying mansions, voodoo bayou, New Orleans. Mm-hmm. People speaking French <laughs> occasionally. Domain. So, it's so good. It's so great. This is the best domain we've done. It's New Orleans. It's one of the sort of great American horror settings. <laughs> do Princess and the Frog. Yes. Please do it and tell us about it. But if you're going to do Princess and the Frog, it's worth taking a little bit of a moment to talk about some of the challenges. Yes. So, one of the less frog the easy challenges, one. the easy challenge, is that it's a very 1920s aesthetic. Uh-huh. You know, they've got the phones and the trolleys and the, you know, there's like the jazz music right, right, right. and all that. And so, it, if you move it over to be more kind of a medieval thing, that's, it's going to be kind of weird. Having having a bunch of like <laughs> chainmail clad transients wandering mm. through Princess and the Frog casting <laughs> spells. That's, that's going to be kind of bizarre. So there's an aesthetic hurdle to get over there. The other thing that we've been putting a pin in for a while, right, yeah. now it's finally time to take that pin out, is there is... Voodoo is a real religion. Yes, it is. Very maligned. Yeah, his, as, as this movie is an example of in, some, in example some of its of, yes. uh, details. Mm-hmm. And so that can be some content and material that's kind of uncomfortable to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Especially if our only representative of it is Dr. Facilier. We've got Mama Odie, but she's never 
explicitly portrayed as a practitioner of Voodoo. You can totally see the thought process. <laughs> we don't want to get Middle America oh, yeah. writing no, angry no, letters. No, we, Disney's never going to yeah. have a good character who practices Voodoo. I'm, yes. so, I'm sorry, Voodoo practitioners. This is not She's happen. the good magic user, but her magic is very like Disney movie mm-hmm. uh, Cinderella's fairy godmother mm-hmm. type magic. So, I think one way to get around that is to be kind of explicitly bring out some of the Voodoo stuff with Mama Odie, because every magic-using tradition does have the idea right. of black magic. Mm-hmm. This is Thomas the Religion Major. Yeah, I'm, I'm not an expert on this, but I read an article on Wikipedia, <laughs> so I feel comfortable talking about it on the internet in an expertise kind of voice. But it was, it was the thing I heard in another podcast, every real world tradition that has kind of magic and the idea of like ritual magic as part of it has the idea of what we would probably call black magic, Mm -hmm. evil magic, magic that is morally wrong, or even has the idea of there are certain things you're not supposed to use magic to do. There's like Mm -hmm. rules and there's morality related to magic. And so the way to incorporate a real world tradition that's not making it evil, that's not sort of making Voodoo this kind of synonym for this evil magic, black magic, infernalism, mm-hmm. is to do enough research that you can have the villain be explicitly the bad guy in that tradition. Mm-hmm. That like, no, yeah, in actual Voodoo, there would be bad magic users. Mm-hmm. And you just do enough research to, to really clearly indicate that Dr. Facilier is one of those. Mm-hmm. He's not just a practitioner of Udon. He is specifically, I believe the term is Bokor, that mm-hmm. he is specifically using this dark forbidden magic that even the religion Udon would say, no, he's a bad guy. Mm-hmm. If you want to go this route, there is a book called The Good House by Tanana Du, And the villain is this evil kind of spirit within the religion of Vudan who's pursuing this family but the main character one of her ancestors was this practitioner of what we would call white magic of, mm-hmm. of, of voodoo like you know Vudan as it's supposed to be practiced within the tradition and so I don't believe that Tanana Rivdu herself is a practitioner of Vudan she is black so she is you know familiar with all of the racial right, problems yeah, yeah. there but it's quite good I recommend it the other option is to just cut all of the voodoo right, yeah. imagery entirely and just have it be he's an infernal warlock, use demons, use some of the demons who are in Mesmodius or whatever. Mesmodius, like, yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, just in Dungeons and Dragons, can give you everything you need to do a Dr. Facilier type character mm-hmm. without any kind of real world occult practice or tradition or anything like that. So if you're going to go that route and you're going to have it just be evil and demonic and not have any stuff about actual voodoo and voodoo, just make sure that he doesn't say the word voodoo. Mm. Once again, your table, we're not here to police your table, but be cool. The other thing, you know, kind of getting back to the the racial front, as we mentioned with Donna Reeves do, that's the other kind of challenge here is it would be kind of awkward some aspects of Princess and the Frog playing it with like an all-white group. Yeah, yeah. Because I'm just imagining myself as a GM. (laughs) And the example that keeps coming to mind is, well, if Tiana shows up and she's an NPC, do I do her voice? But if I do her voice, am I just like, am I going to be doing an impression of Annika Noni Rose? Or is it going to like just kind of turn into like generic, like black voice impression, which is really icky? No problem. But do I not do her voice? And in that case, I'm giving her a wife. Like it gets really tangled and complicated and just... Figure out your own comfort zone, yeah, but yeah, yeah. the comfort zone there could be an issue. But like, we're going to point out this exists. Yes. 
And as with all of these things, it very much is a matter of just doing what's best for you and your table. Yes, always. So, before we rejoin our narrator and find out where she's going next... By the way, speaking of our narrator, I usually write all of her sections, but Tom wrote the Dr. Facilier dialogue for this, so let's, let's give him a Thank you very much, applause, thank you very much, thank was, you very much. It was much. fabulous. <laughs> Fortunately, like, Keith David has such a distinctive voice, <laughs> I got to, like, mentally not have to worry about a lot of those yeah, things. Yeah. No, I'm just doing my Goliath impression. <laughs> I'm just being a gargoyle. But, like, if Goliath were kind of sleazier, right, yeah. more charming. <laughs> also, speaking of our narrator and finding out where she's going next, before she goes to her next place, we are planning on dropping a bonus episode in a week or two. Probably picked up from the Dread Possibilities. Yeah. We now know what the D stands for. We do and indeed. We're going to have a. If not, go re listen to that section we just talked about. <laughs> We're going to drop a bonus episode where we kind of talk about what went into that process, some of the, some mm-hmm. of the backstory behind how we chose that particular character and so, so, some of the stuff that's been going on there. Because that, that has been D from the beginning. That's yes, indeed. Go back and listen to the prologue. Mm-hmm. Now you know who she's talking to. So, before we rejoin our now named narrator <laughs> and find out where she's going next, what if they decide to do the absolutely brilliant, intelligent, and cool... <laughs> idea of having their game visit or be set in Crescent City, how could they tell us about what a good idea they are? What a smart person they are. <laughs> well, if you want to reach out to us, you can email us at wonderfulworldofdarklords at gmail.com. You can find us at Facebook on Wonderful World of Dark Lords. At the time we're recording this, it's mid-November <laughs> and Twitter is imploding. So, so, yeah. I don't know if Twitter is still going to be around in February. Uh, if we do have any other socials at the time this drops, future Rachel's going to pop in and tell you what they are. That would be Tumblr at Wonderful World of Dark Lords. Also, before I hop back into my time machine, a few quick programming notes about the next couple episodes. We are going to be doing a bonus episode about D in two weeks. That's going to be February 27th, uh, just to give everybody time to listen to this episode first. Then on March 13th, we're going to drop two episodes simultaneously. It's our first double episode. We said all the way back in our prologue that we thought we'd have to split Peter Pan in half because that one really got away from us. And we ended up not having to do that, but... Boy, howdy, we only thought we knew what really getting away from us was. Our March movie, it was too much for one episode to handle. Part of that is because of the movie itself. We had a lot to say about it, and I think you're going to know why when you find out what we're doing. But part of it is because we were joined by our first ever guest host, which was a real delight, and we were it was great to have him on. He was incredibly insightful, and you guys were for such a treat. But when you bring a third person into a podcast that already tends to run up to or over two hours, it was a lot, y'all. So part one is going to be The Lord and the Land, and part two is going to be The Dread Possibilities and The Parting Thoughts. Uh, we're not planning to make guest hosts a regular part of the podcast, particularly because of how long this one ran. Um, but in this case, you're in for a real treat. I'm I'm so excited. So both of those are going to drop simultaneously on March 13th after our bonus episode on February 27th. Back to our single non-bonus episode. In the spirit of the Southern Gothic, consider this a moment of the haunted past. (laughs) Reaching into the present. Remember when people would give you their Twitter handle. Elon Musk is no Lestat. (laughs) 
As you can see, we do have our tip jar up on Red Circle. It is part of it. This is a thing we do that takes time. We love doing it, and we're going to keep doing it. I'm going to be totally honest with you. We're going to keep doing it if we make any money or not. Yeah, we sure even, would appreciate money. Even if we're earning, say, 0.00, we're still going to keep doing it because we love doing this. But but it's not going to hurt if yes. you give us money. So if, we if got you kids give us feed. money, then I can buy pre-chopped veggies instead mm. of chopping the veggies and spend that time editing the episodes. Right, <laughs> so. or we can like, buy research material mm -hmm. so give us money it's and, at the bottom of the show notes the yeah, link yeah, to our yeah. tip jar there is also on the tip jar it gives you the option to either give a one-time tip or to subscribe we're gonna let you know right now we do not have any bonuses for subscribers it's not like a patreon where you right, get benefits yeah. we would appreciate it if you subscribe that would be extremely sweet but you're not going to get anything out of it it's purely a charity case you get so. the benefit of my <laughs> thanks that is the Patreon reward for monthly subscriptions, is I'm really happy. And let's say you want to give us money, but you don't want to just give a donation because you're a You also have kids to feed. Yeah, you also have kids to feed, <laughs> or you don't want to encourage panhandling. Um, <laughs> well, which, we which we're doing. Which and we're doing. We do have several things on DM Skill that you can pay for. So if you like how we did horror, if you like how we adapted the story into a gameable narrative, then I've got a couple of horror movies that I've adapted into 5e Adventures that are up on DM's Guild. If you search for Tom Kohler, then you'll find those. And if you like how we are very sensitive to doing this with children and how this might affect them, these characters they love, then we also have a couple of resources on DM's Guild for running spooky Halloween horror-themed stuff for children, which are good and will be very useful to you if you want to just do something spooky but with kids. Ravenloft Gives Me Goosebumps was a real labor It's life, really good. So. Please buy it. <laughs> and then speaking of spooky stuff for kids, I have a picture book, Mother Ghost, Nursery Rhymes for Little Monsters, 13 classic nursery rhymes rewritten to be about Halloween. It's pretty far from Halloween right now, but if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you love Halloween, so you might want to check it out. If you don't have any little monsters in your life, then you can go to my website, www.rachelkohler.com, and find some of my short stories for adults, including one about a demonic oh, MLM. Oh, how appropriate it, to the themes. Or you can look it up. It's it's called hashtag bloodbossbabes. <laughs> you know you want to listen to that. It's on Pseudopod, which is the horror spinoff of Podcastle. And because it's got pod in the name, you can also listen to it as a podcast because we know you're into that. I've read it. I've listened to it. It's a very good reader. It is a very good reader. I'm really happy with the reader I got. So go buy our stuff. And <laughs> in the spirit of Toxic Facility. And, and hashtag Blood Boss Babes is free. You don't have to yeah. buy it. You can just Google it, look it up on Pseudopod, and you're done. But until next time, thank you for listening and happy gaming. Parting thoughts. As it seems you already know everything there is to know about my past, I will speak plainly. One of us must. I do not like you, Yensid, and I am aware that the feeling is mutual. I do not trust you. I have never liked or trusted you, and this reading indicates that my suspicions are justified. Not that I trust Dr. Facilier either. But unlike Dr. Facilier, I have never been deluded enough to call my patron my friend. I did not agree to this because I liked and trusted you. I agreed to this because you offered to teach me magic. If I have no means of defending myself, I may as well still be that helpless, frightened little girl. And if I cannot defend myself, my brother will undoubtedly rise to the challenge, and he might not survive another act of reckless self-sacrifice. 
whatever I was fighting on that last card, I was fighting with friends and putting them in harm's way. No, no, I will do what I must. It cannot be helped that in the gods' plans, they made the legions of night so much stronger than man. But why am I telling you any of this? At any rate, I was glad to leave Dr. Facilier and his honeyed poison behind me. I entered the mists with a holy symbol mist talisman in my hand, praying for the moment that the din of Crescent City gave way to the bells of Notre Dame. Regards, D. Divination magic is often favored by charlatans, for their audience must rely upon the seer's interpretation alone. Think upon what this Dr. Facilier has shown you free of charge. He is not known for his philanthropy, so what does he have to gain from it? You have already painted a picture of the citizens of Crescent City, caught in a complex web of ill-begotten bargains. If one were to pull on a few strands, one would find the raw-boned shadow man in its center, fine-tuning each bargain for another's consumption. He has his own bargains to fulfill, after all. And if he does not appease his friends on the other side, he will lose what little control he has over his precious city. I do not require you to like or trust me, but I do expect you to use your mind over your heart in these matters. It would behoove my little servant to ensure that her next report refrains from lecturing against my person and focuses on the matter at hand. Just as Facilier's friends can withdraw their aid, so can I. This has been The Wonderful World of Dark Lords. We have no affiliation with Disney or Wizards of the Coast. All music recordings used in this episode are in the public domain and are available through MuseOpen.org. Dialogue for Yensid was written by Azalyn Rex himself, who you can find on Tumblr at Dark Lord Azalyn. The Wonderful World of Dark Lord's logo was designed by Haylight Jones. Links to their work are in the show notes. If you'd like to support the show, then search for us on RedCircle.com or just check the show notes. Thanks for listening. Who wants to eat Elon Musk as a Dark Lord? Hit us up in a boat. Then <laughs> tip, tip us in our tip jar and we'll do it. He got what he wanted. He lost what he had, which was $44 billion. <laughs> <laughs> so he got to be king of Twitter. Prince of the land and stench.